No, 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 no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coca Talk episode 259. Today we have a special guest, Terry Steen.
Good morning, everybody. Afternoon. Sorry for the echo, everyone. <laughs> there was echo? Yeah. I don't think there was echo. Yeah, the, the people in the chat are reporting there was echo. Yeah, there's there's yeah, echo there's on YouTube. Is there echo? Oh, echo? Huh. Echo? Echo? Now, is the echo stopped uh, yes. now that we are out of the uh, song, people in the audience? Yeah, good question. We'll make for a messy interview if it's echoing now. <laughs> and if I if I I'm turn still this... waiting for the song to end on YouTube. Did I no just... echo now, Jim Rice says. So it was just on the okay. That's the weird. Did I just turn the echo back on or or no? Echo? Echo? No. No, no they're saying there's no echo now. So okay. if we find it, will that be echo location? Mm. Then I don't need these stupid headphones anymore. Yay. Yeah, echo, echo's no charge. Anyway, aside from audio problems here, we'll, we'll get on with the show here with our special guest, Terry Steen. So first up, we're going to do a little thing that's a little bit different here, as you might have guessed from our intro. So Terry, not only being a game designer and programmer back in the 80s uh, for JARB and T&D and Chromaset, also uh, came to KilkaFest. What year was that, Terry? It was the last one before the pandemic. That's <laughs> the pandemic made us forget how many years everything has been. Okay, so 2019 Grant says I'll have to trust him on that one. But uh, you had a rather interesting trip down. In fact, you had to phone us tell us you're going to be late. And uh, I wanted because some of the newer people in the audience don't know the whole story behind what happened to you, how it inspired the video game, which then inspired the song, which then you got to see Rick Adams perform live. And I thought we'd get started with you, Terry, to just kind of say what exactly happened. And then we'll bring in the people that were involved in the game projects and the music projects that were based on what happened. Oh, man. Well, I, I've, I've told the story a bunch, so it's starting to feel like, man, I need to just make a video of it and just <laughs> tell them to watch this one. Uh, but yeah, I was going through Ohio and uh, I was doing really well. And, and I was behind a, a, a truck. Everything seemed to be fine. But, Wait, are you uh, traveling by yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah, just me. Okay. And uh, I was I was getting little updates on Discord as to where everybody was and everything like that. It was kind of cool. But uh, uh, I was seeing if I could beat Stevie. There was my main goal. And <laughs> uh, it it was it was kind of weird because all of a sudden uh, the cars in front of me they just they just whoosh pulled away, and there's a sofa sitting in the middle of the highway it was it's actually uh let's see orange not yellow so that's incorrect up there but uh uh i only had about a car length or so between me and the sofa so it just went right into my grill and uh wound up taking out the radiator and, and everything so it's like instantly i'm disabled on the side of the road and it's like i i, I can't i can't miss coco fest I've, i hadn't been to one of the last Coco Fest. The last things I'd been to was Rainbow Fest. And, uh, you know, those were in the 80s. So I was like, I, I got to see, you know, other other nerds. So uh, <clears throat> uh, basically, I guess the whole thing was uh, the determination and grit to say, okay, I need insurance. I need a tow truck. I need to get a rental car. I need all this stuff. And I was able to get within about uh, two, three hours, uh, I was able to get all that together. And I actually got the rental car like it was they, they actually kept the place open waiting for me to check out so I could get on the road. So uh, I just barely made it to uh, to the fest. So that was that was the uh, 
that was the inspiration for some really demented people to write video games and sing songs and everything. So who was the rental company? They deserve a shout out. Uh, it was, uh, oh gosh, I use USAA and I can't say who the rental company was, but they just network for you. It's like, I need a car. I need it now. And they're like, well, here's one within five miles. Here's one, you know, do you want to Uber to this town to pick up one? And, uh, so honestly, USAA, they deserve a lot of credit because they, they set up, uh, they set up all the possible places I could get a car from, but, uh, I, I, I can't really remember who it was. And, and were you hurt in the accident or? No, I was just, I was just kind of like, you know, first, you know, surprised and then irritated. And then when I realized I wasn't going anywhere, you know, you, you move into the pissed off city and, you know, that's, that's where, that's where it turned into just, okay, I have to, I have to solve this problem. I have to do it now. And Barry, did uh, crying I mean, and, and gnashing of the teeth help any with the uh, auto company? <laughs> no, it, it, they, uh, it, it, it was kind of fun. We, uh, we left it on the, uh, uh, well, I left it with the tow truck people. I didn't see it after that, but, uh, I wound up getting a, a phone call and email from the, the people who were repairing it. And two weeks later, me and my wife got to go out there to, to pick it up. So we, we made another half trip to Coco Fest and, uh, uh, found some really weird place called Billbilly Hot Dogs. And anybody going up that direction, if you guys uh, Google it and go ahead and make it a stop, it's kind of a bizarre, interesting place. Uh, one of the things you might see on Pee Wee Herman uh, Big Adventures, you know, the side road kind of uh, things where they they just take old buildings and school buses and turn them into their restaurant. And, it's bizarre. You just go Google it. Hillbilly hot dogs. Terry, <laughs> Terry did, did you get a picture of the coach in your grill? No, I. Oh, I should have. I should have. I mean, uh, shame when your car for one. How often does that nap. ever happen? Right? Like that's just <laughs> yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was really thankful. It, it was a, a a light, flimsy one, because uh, you know I hit it and it just kind of slid in front of the car. It didn't. It wasn't like a big, heavy metal frame that just kind of made the front end crumple up. So, uh, but. Uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was one of those kind of throwaway couches. It's like okay, it's it's obviously made with the lightest possible interior construction, and and then just put some fabric over it. So that was that was kind of nice watching it watching it slide rather than watching it crush into the car. So what I don't understand is how does somebody not notice the couch fell off the back of the truck? Oh, everybody else did. <laughs> And no, they, the guy driving the truck has he not oh. noticed something felt that big fell off the back of his truck? <laughs> yeah, who says he did? The, the the truck that I was behind isn't the one that dropped it. It it apparently had been there for a little while. The truck in front of me was just the billboard that kept me from being able to see anything else in front. So, you know, if it had been like a a, a little sports car or you know something like that. I would have seen people moving in front of me, but I just know there was this big truck in front of me that I couldn't see around. And like I said, he just- As soon as he moved out of the way, the couch was right, right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to have somebody, you know, you got a, a decent following distance so that you can maneuver should they slow down or turn or start taking over your lane. But it's another thing for something to be completely standing still in front of you and, and you had no idea that it was going to be there. It's like, 
all of a sudden there's a, a, a mailbox standing there right in front of you. You know, it's like, well, I, I'm not going to be able to go from 65 down to zero. <laughs> yeah. I have to I have to commend you on your dedication. I don't know too many people that would get into a you know car accident on the way to the fest and then still determined to make it and you know getting a rental car and the whole thing just to, to come down. So yeah, it's great that I, you actually did make it. Yeah, I got there and you're the first person I saw actually because I was looking around. It's like okay, where do we find the Cocoa Fest people? And uh, I saw you and I and I recognized you and I, and, and I did one of those really cool things where I go, "Aren't you?" And and you said, "Oh, Curtis Boyle." And I said. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I occasionally do need reminders, so. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that, that's a, that background story to what happened to you. And then I think the next part of this was Ken Riker came up with the game. So, Ken, what inspired you besides what happened? Like, what prompted you, I guess, to actually create the game and, and tribute to this, you know, world cataclysmic event? Okay. Well, first of all, I was actually, I couldn't make it to the fest as been the last few years due to family obligations, but I was following everyone's progress getting to the fest on the discord. And I just came across a post that said, I just hit a couch. And I remember I replied something on an actual piece of furniture. Or is this some kind of bizarre euphemism? But, and that just struck me as well, funny because I didn't hit the couch so it just made me want to uh, do a game. And I wanted to, uh, I had just done this silly little Nutroid game where it was a little squirrel ran down the screen connecting nuts and it was using the old print at the bottom of the screen to make the screen scroll. And I said, I'd really like to do something where the screen scrolled the other way. So I wrote a, started writing an assembly routine. So it was a good dipping my toe in there to make the screen scroll the other way, just using the SG Semi-Graphics 4 graphics. And I thought that was a good as a uh, as a premise as any because you put a couple of them together they kind of look like couch if you and and it, it kind of looked like cars it just kind of it kind of looks like car it kind of looks like cars if you squint and turn your head and and not look at the screen at all yeah yeah <laughs> say I do believe in fairies I do believe in fairies and then Tinkerbell comes out with a hammer and smacks you in the face. Now, is, is this the first game where you did a, a basic ML hybrid? Because most of the other games, I think previous were mostly basic, if not all. They, they were entirely basic. This was the first basic ML hybrid. It was going to be much less machine language. But as I went, I kept doing more and more machine language to where finally the basic is just kind of the shell that runs around things. It opens it up, keeps track of the high scores, lets you pick your level and things like that. And that's that's about it. So most okay. of it just it just dumps into a machine language routine, and then just when you crash it, or when you don't complete the run, it goes back out of there. So basically, all the graphics and the sound is all machine language routines, and you're basically yeah. you know, using basic scores, etc. When I got to that point, I didn't feel like figuring figuring out how to do assembly language a disk access or anything like that. I was ready I don't to, blame you for that at all. I, I was ready to put this to bed. <laughs> and how long did it take you to develop it? I probably did it over about three months. Just and did, you get it, did you get it approved by Terry before you, you released it or? Uh, no, not at all. It was a surprise. <laughs> it was surprise, surprise, surprise. I, I was just capitalizing on his pain without his permission. Much like I was. Uh, and that caused you <laughs> extra trauma, Terry, I guess is the next question when you saw that. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I was glad to have, uh, you know, my pain and suffering go to something useful and, and positive for the rest of the world. 
<laughs> really? What was that? <laughs> Nightmare Highway. Yeah. You know, that's written 100% machine language and basic. And basic, yes. <laughs> I, I also think the commercial is better than the game, but... The game's pretty fun. Actually, 8-Bits in the Basement just played it, I think, for the first time on his channel. Oh, I'm so just sorry. Within the last couple of weeks, I was going <laughs> to ask him what, what he thought what the European perspective is, because they may have different couches. I know they drive on the other side of the road in a lot of European countries. So what uh, was your opinion of it? Well, there's only one I side did. in the game, so... <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, I think it's a fantastic game. You see, I didn't know it existed at all until I was on this show two years ago. And it was um, it was Richard, is it Richard Riker, who said to me to, um, to try it out. So I did, and I was amazed by it. And actually, my son as well, he's, he's kind of into, into old computers a bit. But I um, there's two games that he loves on the Coco. There's Popstar Pilot. And I showed him Nightmare Highway as well. I said, look, I said, don't expect too much because it's it's not great. It's a bit crap, you know. But I said, uh, try it, try it out and see. <laughs> see what you think. So, um, no, he, he was he was well pleased with it, too. So when I started this new gaming channel thing that I have going now, I said, well, you know, we'll give it a little shot and we'll see because nobody has really heard of it, you know. But I'll be honest, it's after getting an awful lot. The video, get you know, it gets comments saying, well, uh, but um, a lot of people have said that they would like to try it out. So, I mean, that's a fairly good, that's a fairly good, uh, you know. Well, those people, whoever they are, before they go and get help, they're in luck. <laughs> because starting, uh, starting back at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the electronic version of the Coco Fest version of Nightmare Highway is be on sale for just a dollar. One single dollar. So that's not well, even a euro. Go. That's not even a euro. So That's not even your. I'll be putting. I'll be putting my hand in my pocket for that one because I missed the missed. I missed the buck off sale. I thought that was good. Yeah. Actually. Well, this is even better. Yeah. This is just the buck on or buck you. I just. I, I, just I, well, I it's not. It's like loads of bucks off. It's four. Buck off four times. Yes, exactly. It's mm. And yeah. it's at no, kenscococorner.itch.io. And for those that don't know or are new to the game, what what is the difference between the Coco Fest edition and the original? freeware version you got so you actually have to pay for the coco fest version so it's even worse it, right? value than the original plus it also has one more feature where if you collect the letters terry you get a brief time of uh, invulnerability so if you go through and not only collect the fuel dodge the couches collect the letters and when you go into that you can go into high gear without fear of hitting a couch that's awesome causing yourself time so the power of terry i believe it's the called. power of terry yes yeah. Also, couch. not licensed. Do they call a couch <laughs> something else in England? Uh, so familiar. Davenport sofa. But my, my main question couch. there for Terry is why, Terry, didn't you use your power when you saw the couch in front of you? <laughs> uh, it, well, it wasn't available until after uh, Mr. Reichard uh, created such a feature. But Yes, I, I lobbied the Ohio Department of Transportation to also add that to all roads, but I haven't gotten anywhere yet. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, now, I think Terry's not collected all the letters of his name yet. You have Lori <laughs> and everything, and you spell color correctly and, and all that stuff. <laughs> you had a boss battle where there's a pit group. Yeah. Yeah. And the next no, version is going to have, what, love seats a little bit smaller or something? I'm not sure. Because that's, that's, that's the other thing. 
that's the other thing with the game is it's not just one couch. It'd be a lot easier if there was just one couch in the game. Yeah. Well, it, it would have been nice if, like in the game, you just have to drive over things for fuel so I didn't have to make any stops. But, uh, you know, that I don't recommend doing that for real. Unless <laughs> you have a catheter. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend driving over fuel pumps for real. It tends to, you know, cause fires and uh, <laughs> BP frowns on that. So so for those who want to download it or, or get the, uh, the Cocoa Fest edition on sale, um, what's the system requirements for it? A color computer it turns Four, on 4k 16k uh, 16k 16k okay. okay one two or three doesn't matter does not matter one two or three so those 4k coco one users are out of luck yeah you but you disc basic yeah yes it's disc basic so you're going to be searching for inspiration for the next coco fest so somebody else um, Waiting for your next accident. <laughs> Somebody else sac- self-sacrificed the vehicle for it this time. Not <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate, uh, Ken brought out the game. Was it the, the next Cocoa Fest or did you release it before that? I can't remember. It was the fir- original version of the game was before. I think it was July or August. I don't remember. And then uh, my brother came up with the, the suggestion we were going to go to Cocoa Fest and come up with a Cocoa Fest edition where even if you just change the graphics on it, just as mostly a joke like the whole thing's been mostly a joke <laughs> and that's when i decided well i can't just do that i'm going to add the power of terry do something add something to alleged value and we had those ready had a few physical copies ready to go to coco fest and then the world ended you know it's funny we had a elevator mishap at one coco fest and no program came don't remind me ron <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I had only come up with a title for that, but I haven't come up with a game. It's elevator <laughs> in action. Yeah, I was going to say, there was a few people that were stuck with me in an elevator. That's terrifying <laughs> enough. Several are on the panel right now. Yes. Are they Are they suffering from PTSD? No, it's <laughs> Curtis's fault. Just let everybody know. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Ron, the, the don't expect your check this that, week. No. Wasn't, would not- wasn't, the, wasn't the original plan to sell the game at Coco Fest? There was going to be an option to have it autographed, and if you, want, if you didn't oh, want yes. it autographed, it was going to cost more. It was going to be $10 autographed and $15 not autographed. <laughs> Are we talking your autograph, Ken, or, or Terry's? Well, no, for, be it'd be 20 for, for Terry's autograph, for my autograph. That's, you know, my autograph is what lowers the value considerably. So, okay, so after the game was out and then you, you ended up making a, a special edition later on, the song got worked on. Now, who's the one who initiated that? That would be me. Uh, and uh, uh, pardon me. Uh, so that would be me. Uh, I came up with the song. Uh, it was actually sort of crowdsourced. Uh, who came up with the third verse? Um, you know, I, I, it's all kind of fuzzy now. Uh, I know Nick Moroto, who can't be here today, contributed to one of them. I'm not sure if it's the third. That's probably who wrote the third verse. Uh, but I wrote the rest of it and, uh, Bruce Moore, uh, produced it and did some background vocals and all kinds of people kind of chipped in. And, uh, we sort of got on discord and, and, uh, you know, came up with the, uh, the lyrics and, and, uh, so Rick, how uh, many games are mentioned in that song? 20. Wow. Uh, the sort of the 
sort of one of the inspirations for the song was the song, uh, well, I'm thinking of like American Pie, but also We Didn't Start the Fire. Uh, I wanted to do a song that combined as many, you know, just like We Didn't Start the Fire combines a whole bunch of historical events together, just as many as the guy can jam in there. Uh, and American Pie throws in a bunch of historical stuff that's just, just jammed in as much as he can put in. Uh, I wanted to do the same thing with all the Coco games that we were, you know, so happy about with. Uh, so, so, uh, so I'm starting to write the first verse. And it's like, well, I got to put in. So let's start like start writing down some some games, and let's just start jamming those together and just get as many as we can in. And uh, you know, so it's like, okay, you got some time to kill. Might play a little Zaxxon. You got to mention Zaxxon first of all, you know, uh, and then it's like. And then I'm thinking of all the songs, uh, uh, all the games that, that Dale and I did. So then it's like, okay, I'll wait until the second or third to mention one of my games. You know, might double back to play a little Temple of Rom, Dungeons of Dagrath. Well, what's next? Well, color baseball, certainly. You got to put that in there. And then it just, Dragon. the next, yeah, the next uh, thing that popped into my head, but Oh, we're losing you. Losing you there, Rick. Oh, that's got to go in there. But after that, it's like the greatest of them all. What would be the greatest game of all? And, and people are going to dis—they're going to—they're uh, going to disagree on that. And uh, somebody might get their feelings hurt. And uh, uh, I already mentioned Zaxxon and Dungeons of Dagrath, so that takes care of two of the obvious candidates. And then I thought. What if I went for comedy and went the other direction? Something that wasn't the greatest of all. And it's like, really, Nightmare Highway is actually not a crap game. Uh, it's actually a fine game, but it is not the greatest of them all. Um, and, you know, when you hear the, the uh, commercial that, that they did for it, it's obvious that, you know, they're going for the humor of, basically saying just that it's like of all the games this year this is one of them if you got it for free you paid too much uh i played the song for uh my relatives and they didn't understand where i was coming from until i played them the commercial and then they said ah oh, now we see it um so that's so, basically quick question before you go on rick i have a quick question for you if i'm understanding this right you were actually writing this song before nightmare highway was even involved with it then you were just doing a general Coco song and then you decided to add that in when you started to change no, it to I think, comical? I think, yeah, I think that Nightmare Highway maybe had just come out or had come out a little bit before I started. So it existed when I started writing the song. But it wasn't so, the inspiration for the initial start of the song. That's, that's true, actually, now that you think about it. Uh, now that I think about it. Uh, so I was just going to, uh, the, the plan was to put together a song with as many Coco games as I can think of. And while writing the song, I came up with the idea of having Nightmare Highway be the focus of the song. And then, you know, in the, in, you know, in the, and then I point out, it's like uh, the, the self-deprecating humor is all, like all throughout it. It's like, it's got a road and it's got a car. Wow, I mean, I am overwhelmed already, you know. Uh, dodge the furniture. And then I thought, oh, now I can sneak in and you'll be a pop star. It's like, get one more reference in there. 
So, and then you had Nick Marot, of course, doing his little comments after each one. It's got a car. I told him <laughs> to do that. Yeah. <laughs> road. It's, it's got a road. It's got a car. Okay. <laughs> so, Bruce, but, what was your exact involvement? Did you do other instruments and vocals? Did you do the mixing, et cetera, too? Or how did that work? Yes, he did. Yeah, well, uh, right. When So when we got talking about it, um, then I said, well, hey, I can, you know, I can like fill this out instrumentally for you and stuff. And like, yeah, okay. So then uh, I just, I put a template, a template of the, the music together with the drum stuff and all that. And then I sent that to Nick Morota and he did his ukulele to it and, and sent that to Rick and he sang to it and they sent their stuff back and I just put it together. And, and then I did my nightmare highway, yes, <laughs> you know, backing vocals. Something that, you know, <laughs> the more ridiculous, the better for the, the yeah. name of the tune. And this uh, was all done during the pandemic. Yeah. So this is very, very pandemic-ish. Yeah. Yeah, we had nothing else to do. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah, that's how that went initially. Yeah. And then we sprung it on these guys. Remember that? I think Ken had no idea that it was coming. Nobody. Yes, I, I remember when you came. Nightmare high. When you came to that part, I remember Ken on the screen. Like he's like, mm -hmm, and then suddenly I just see him do this. Yes. <laughs> Live during the show. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ken, when you unmute yourself, is that what you felt too, or? Oh, yes. It's exactly what I thought. I forgot I was muted. That's that's just another pandemic throwback where the most used phrase was you're on mute yes just that i was quite uh surprised humiliated and honored at the same time which is a very strange combination it's kind of like i don't know what it's like it's sort of like and then terry the first time you you heard it did you get the same kind of reaction because of course it's directly involving you as well oh yeah i heard it the uh when it was uh exposed to uh ken and I watched him breaking down, and I was like, "This is amazing! I'm I'm just loving it." Yeah, I think uh, I think he's recovered, but during Rick's description, I think Ken was starting to get into the "I need Prozac" zone. Yeah, PTSD uh, was kicking in. Yo, oh, Terry, yeah, was, I, I, Terry, I like your word choice. You didn't say it was premiered; you said exposed. <laughs> <laughs> Good word choice. That was about it. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh. <laughs> I, I just impressed everybody kept it secret yeah I, I was actually I'm quite surprised to learn that it really truly was a secret because it's it's really hard to keep these things from people you know it's like you tell them I, I mean I figure you tell them oh uh, you know Ken you've got to be on this show well why no we can't tell you but you, you got to it's you gotta special yeah. it's, it's really special you'll agree once you hear it you know uh, and, and usually they figure out something's going on, but apparently it really was a, you know, a surprise. Uh, so I got to sing it during uh, Coco Fest too. That was kind I of. I was fun. just going to bring that up because Terry got to see you do it yeah, live. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Yeah. No. No. That's, there's nothing to say there. It just it just happened. Uh, I and I only sang it once. I should have like you know just gotten everybody together because when you look at the YouTube video of it, I'm just singing it in a corner of the room. And Terry's there videoing me, uh, but the whole room is just like every, 
everybody's talking at once and they're all laughing and talking and nobody's paying any attention except for about five people in the corner of the room. And, you know, and here, there I am doing it. And I did it once and that was it, which is, you know, well, I probably should have done it more times than that, but oh well. But that's now, all I really have to say about that. I was going to say, Rick, did you yeah. pre-plan that you were going to play it for Terry? Or did that just spontaneously come when he came up and met you or how did that happen? Uh, I brought my guitar intending to do it at least once. Uh, and he was, we were in the same corner of the room and there was really nothing going on at the time. So, uh, I just figured, well, this is just as good a time as anyway, as any, and brought out the guitar and just played it. Well, I, I remember it as we were talking and, and somebody said, well, that's Terry. And, and he goes, wait a minute, Terry Steen. And, and, yeah. and then you had this look on your face, like that's you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, that's when you pulled me aside and said, oh, I, I got to do something here. Uh, <laughs> And then I was honored with my own personal serenading from. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what I value more. Uh, the fact that I got that from you or I got a personally autographed copy of Shanghai that I've had since I was a kid. <laughs> oh my goodness. Let me tell you when people come to me and say, Oh, please, sir, would you autograph this game? I, you know, I got it. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I, I had to, mow lawns all summer to get the money to buy this game it's like okay that makes my little heart go pitter pat that's just it's like oh that's just awesome for me uh figuring out what kind of pens to use and what color sharpie and exactly how one uh signs one's autograph and what sort of stylistic uh aspects that should have uh that is something i never thought i would need to research so that's really quite a special time for me. Yeah, we've had some strange signings at uh, Koki-related events before PenFest. Uh, Jason, you were there too, I think. Um, when Mark Hawkins from Micro was there during the uh, 20th anniversary of the Coco thing, and somebody ran up to him, I can't remember who it was, and then just stuck his back right in Mark's face. Said, Here, sign my back on my shirt. And Mark's oh, come like, what? On. <laughs> He, I mean, he was already a little freaked out when when he came up to talk and everybody, uh, you know, brought up the uh, the picture on, on all the Coco threes there at the yeah, show. Yeah, too. Everybody did the control reset to show his oh, picture. Oh, right. Yeah. Anyone ask you to sign their chest? No, they have not. And, and they will not. <laughs> it's never the right kind of people who do that anyway. No. Can we, hit no, no chests will be signed. Can we expect Unless it's a, a treasure uh, chest full of gold, you know, yeah, from yeah. the Temple of, of Doom, or rather the Forest of Doom. Uh, temple of Rom. The Forest of Rom, the Temple of Doom. Rick, hey, go Rick, ahead, Bruce. You were saying something? Well, Rick, are you, now, now you're bringing a guitar this year. Oh, of course. Okay. So is there going to be, uh, are we going to stage it somewhere? That is a good, good question. We probably should. I was thinking we of bringing actually, a small... Now that everybody knows... And now that everybody knows it's actually a thing, we should probably do that. Yeah, I agree. You should yeah. play on a couch. Maybe on Saturday <laughs> evening, like before the supper starts or something like that, where we're all going to be still there for the supper. Time. Right. That would make a good time mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah, it's a little scary. Hey, well, I'm starting to picture like Animal House where everybody is singing Louie, Louie. This will be the Cocoa Fest version. I'm not wearing a toga. Sorry. I'm just hoping, you know, I hope nobody grabs my guitar and smashes it on the stairway. <laughs> I might bring but, a, a small sound system so uh, 
Yeah. I'll drag the microphone out and we can just. The other thing that was kind of gratifying to me, if you if you see the uh, uh, the YouTube video of me playing it live at, at Coco Fest, uh, is all the people singing along and knew all the lyrics. Okay, that was a surprise for me. Kind of like that. Got a road. It's got a car. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's got a car. <laughs> Every time it plays, you you have to sing along with it. Yep. And then I did the little lyric change that everybody liked. Do, do we, ha <laughs> don't know do we have that? Do we have that, that clip to run for everyone? Uh, yeah, for the people that haven't seen it before, I'd like to play the the live clip where where Rick was serenading yeah. Terry. There's a lot of crowd noise in it, but I think you may be able to make out what's going on. So, you, are you going to do that? I I think so. Does uh, Mark have that queued up? Uh, no, it's not queued up at all. Okay. The producer's uh, fired. Uh, that's a surprise. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. I'll, I'll, I'll send I'll send you the link. Okay, great. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to do that Saturday night since we've got the uh, the supper Absolutely. that everybody's kind of paid into. That's where the most people are going to be staying at the hotel, and there'll be a bit of a gap, you know, between the show shutting down, the seminar shutting down, and the supper. That'd be a perfect time to do it where everybody's gathered in, in a room type thing and, and just go for it. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about doing it during my presentation, but for some reason that didn't seem like a good idea. Well, the, the thing is, if you do it during the presentation, was. some people are still working the show floor; they won't get to see it. That's some true. people just. We don't want to see that particular seminar or busy with something else. They won't get to see it. This is the one time we'll have everybody at once. I, I think. think the reason was it was being streamed and the people who were watching the stream wouldn't really get a good audio mix because there weren't the right microphones for that or anything. It's yeah. just good for, you know, in a room with some people. Actually, so Terry, how, how did your recording of it turn out? I don't know. I think we've ever seen that either. I, I think mine came out pretty good. I, I, I don't think I've uploaded it to anybody, but uh, you know I can share oh. it. And if you guys like it and want to post it someplace, you could do that. Oh, yeah. that's a great idea. I'd like to do that because you I were like right there, so you probably yeah. didn't get as much of the ambient room noise. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, I just had mine's up on my YouTube channel. I put the. Uh, and then I can't and, remember when I watched the video, which I just bought, watched the video just before I came on here. Uh, you know, because I'm, you know, narcissistic like that. Uh, at the end, uh, Terry says, best something I ever had, you know, I think it was best picture I ever had, or I, I don't know. I thought it was best I, like car accident. I have found a lot. <laughs> I, I think, I think I said that was the best gift I've ever had. Oh, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Glad you think so. By the way, Terry, I want to mention the chat, the Taylor and Amy show said we want an autograph on the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've, I've found the live version. Okay, we'll play that. We'll do that as the outro to this gathering of the night where hiring people. So thanks to everybody for coming in. I didn't tell Terry ahead of time where he was going to get all you guys on that were involved in making the game and the song, so I was a bit of a surprise for him. And uh, let's watch him uh, get serenaded by Rick. <laughs> all right, let's see if I can do this here. See if we can get no echo this time. Though. Uh, hang on. I don't have any. I'm not... Hold on just a second here. I've got to share a screen so that everyone else. All right, we're uh, doing it live. Yep, we're doing it live. <laughs> we're Hold smooth as here. always. That's all. Hang on, I got to share share sound so everyone on the panel can hear this thing. Well, if it creates the echo, then don't. I'm not sure what was creating the echo. Let's see. Ow. 
Event. There Angry you go, bird. folks. Yeah, I will mention there is a country version. I'm not going to put it in here because I do want to get on with the interview, but on the outro when the show ends, we'll play the country version too so you guys can hear the alternate version. Actually, before we get into the, the actual interview here, uh, what was the story behind the country version from you people involved with that? It was just me. It was just him. I was bored. He surprised me with it. Was it's another pandemic thing? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No. yeah I just like, hmm. Yeah, I just did it and then just sent it to Rick, I think. That was it, right? Yeah. It's like he said, I got something for you. And I said, well, what's that? Oh, here. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> That's pretty great. So, Mark, for the outro to the show today, do you have a link for the country version? Yes, that have? is cute. Okay, cool. That is handy. Just the live one wasn't handy. Okay. <laughs> Good. You keep your job, yeah. man. Anyway, a big thanks to everyone that was involved from, you know, Ken Riker to Rick Adams to Bruce Moore to Nick Marotta um, for creating the game then creating the songs and then doing it live for Terry himself. And thanks for Terry for going through all that trauma just to inspire a game. And uh, so uh, I hope you, you enjoyed actually in virtually meeting everybody that was involved, except for unfortunately Nick could make it. But Oh, yeah. Instant classic. I love it. <laughs> And now we'll get back to the regularly scheduled interview. This is where it gets boring. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the first uh, boilerplate question we ask every guest uh, is basically, what is the first computer that you ever used and the first one that you ever owned? 
Um, I would have to say the first one I ever used was some uh, Model 1s in a uh, high school lab where they, uh, well, it wasn't really a lab. It was some teacher put some in that they could play uh, asteroids on if they uh, got all their work done. So I, I got a chance to play on those. And then it was shortly after that, we started doing computer shopping. And man, it was, it was a struggle uh, for a while where it was, we would drive to Radio Shack, play around the color computer, and then we'd go over to the Apple store and play on the Apple and back and forth. And um, kind of like uh, the same thing today where you say, well, this one is cheaper and it's more established and there's 10,000 Radio Shacks and everything. So we settled on the color computer. So when I brought it home, I was like, okay, how do I use it now? And so it, it really did. It started out from, uh, I've, I've used one sitting on a desk at, at the school, but I've never actually used a uh, computer before at home. So I had to figure out, well, okay, I, I had to read that book, which, which is great. The best instruction manual yeah. that you could ever get. And, uh, learned how to do the C save and all that stuff. So yeah, it took a long time just to figure out, okay, how do I save programs? How do I skip programs and everything? It was, it was fun, you know, just uh, going from zero to, uh, to here's a computer, figure out what to do. So how early were you in on the Coco then? Was this like a 4K you originally got or were you ready? Like yeah, I had a 4K standard basic, um, you know, the 1.0 basic ROM. So it was, it was, it was one of the first ones that was uh, out. I don't know exactly. You know, I, everybody like, well, what was your serial number? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just know it was for Christmas that year. So um, Christmas 81, 82. God, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's junior and high. So it must have been, uh, must have been 81. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah but that time I think there was only the 16k model, maybe extended basic was a disc discs weren't out yet for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember I remember looking at uh at the catalog and the first time I saw a disk drive, uh I think it was like four hundred bucks to get your first drive. And I was like, Well, I'll never get that. <laughs> <laughs> there were eight hundred here in Canada, the first ones. Oh first god. Of course our dollar was only worth like you know a trifle. Um, so what got you started in programming versus just using computers or had you already started that in school at the model one? Like, did you get attracted to for the programming side or was it like, oh, there's this cool thing I can play games on or what was the. the yeah, well, uh, you, you know, like most, most kids at that time, you were getting addicted to video games. You know, you'd gone from Pong to Defender was out and everything like that. And then the computer was possibly going to be used for games. And I was using it with basic programs and. And I'm like, this, this just doesn't seem to be, I'm not going to be able to do anything that I'm seeing in the video games with this thing. So what's going on? And I had really been for about three years getting into electronics. And so um, when I was in uh, California, because uh, I, I got it when we were living in Spokane, Washington, then I moved to San Diego, California, and I was lucky to get into an electronics shop. And I was talking to my electronic shop teacher and he's like, oh, well, you know, bring in your computer. We can, we can look at it and, and everything. And 
he opened it up and he's like, oh yeah, that's a, you've got a 6809 microprocessor. And then he, he got me the uh, data sheets for it. And I was like, I know how this thing works now. And that's when I started going after the machine language programming. Cause I was like, if I can just figure out how to control that chip, I can get whatever I need. And uh, you know, it just went from there where you learn, oh, okay, well, now I know how memory works. Now I know where the ROMs are. Now I know how to control the video and the SAM chip and all that stuff. So um, I came at it more of, uh, I was controlling the electronics rather than learning how to program. So, uh, so electronics is more your first love at this point than even the programming was or? Oh yeah, I love, I've always loved electronics. And uh, you know, the Coco was great because it, it just let me just move right into that. You know, I sat with the 1609 handbook sitting there looking at it with the, uh, you know, a lot of people would be like reading how software states work or something like that maybe. And I was sitting there reading, oh, well, how many cycles until this would happen? And then I can load this register, you know, because <laughs> it made more sense when I looked at the electronics rather than when I looked at how people programmed. So uh, I learned like, I learned uh, programming all on my own based on how I think loops and control lines should happen and things like that, which, uh, isn't always the best for game programming because you don't learn, uh, you know, oh, well, how does this state machine work? Or how can you set up a, uh, a, a stack so that you can pull data off and everything? It's like, no, I'm just sitting there trying to control a chip. You know, it's not the same yeah. thing as, say, you know, and, and I did later on start to um, make control routines so that I could control individual characters. Um, and some of that was based on uh, a thing, uh, Dale Lear did at uh, a Rainbow Fest in Chicago, '88, uh, and uh, where he started talking about how to control individual characters, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I can set up a structure for this," and 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 that made a big difference. So you know, you learn from others, you 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 pass information back and forth, and you and you kind of get a feel for um, how you can you can expand yourself over time. Okay. And then, um, so what, what tools did you use for doing, like when you switched to assembly, obviously you would have done basic stuff first of the, the basic manuals you mentioned. Did you use EdTASM or did you migrate to a different assembler or what, what did you use for developing your game? Yeah, the, 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 first, the first assembly I did was just uh, writing, it, writing the commands out by hand and then calculating what the hex values are. And poking them and all in. Poking <laughs> them into memory, yeah. <laughs> so the first assembler was, was these hands in my head. A piece of paper, yeah. Yeah, and and then I I, uh, I broke down and got an editasm cartridge, and I used that to uh, write the uh, first couple of things that I that I was getting my feet wet on, and I made the really stupid game snafus, and um, and then after that I decided okay I need something that I can use a disk drive, and the best one I could find was MicroWorks, and so I got the MicroWorks assembler, and I love that one because you could. And I just recently learned, you know, it's like the later disc editasm. I didn't realize, you know, they had expanded it so much because I like MicroWorks because you had macros and include files and multiple FCBs and everything like that that made programming so much easier. And uh, just in the last couple of weeks, uh, talking to uh, Rick Marentis, um, Nick Marentis, and uh, he made a recommendation for the assembler he was using. And I looked at that and I'm like, oh, well, this is just a modified version of Editasm, but it's got all the things that I had in the MicroWorks. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll shift over to this one because 
Microworks hasn't been updated forever, so I can't do 6309 unless I'm, I make my own patches to it. So yeah. uh, I, I think I'm going to be probably using the one that Nick recommended. But uh, uh, for a while there, I used uh, LWS Tools, um, the, uh, the assembler that, uh, that he put together. And um, it, it, was, it was great, but I'm like, I like to actually work on the physical cocoa. So I can't, I can't use uh, that one while I'm using the cocoa to try things out. Yep, that's you and me and Nick, and I think we're the only ones that still do that. Most other people yeah. use the cross-assembly stuff. So, like Rick Adams, I don't think you do anything natively on on, on uh, the cocoa assembler itself. But. Right, I do it on a Raspberry Pi with uh, LW uh, ASM, and then yeah, I that's, use that's drive wires and move it across. Yeah. So it's cool that we've got all these different options for doing, you know, different different tools. And if you want to do cross assembly, if you want to do it native on the cocoa, it's all available. So you can do whatever way you're comfortable with, or get kick, you know, scratches the nostalgia itch type thing. Because me just running it normally on on our on you know modern stuff, I, I have I do use it for some projects like the the Petsky robots one. Jay started that with LW Asm, so that's what I'm using there. But I, my O9 stuff is still all done on the cocoa, just because it's it's muscle memory at this point. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just a it has a it has a feel that makes you feel it's it's not so much it nostalgic. Takes you back. It's just this is the machine. This is not an emulator. This is not a, a, a you know somebody took a cray computer and made something that makes it act like a cocoa. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think you'll get an argument from Nick or me on that one. <clears throat> Emulators no, drive me mad. What's that? Emulators drive me mad. They're just. <laughs> They're just so fussy and it's like, well, you know, the machine's fussy enough. Well, I don't need a, an additional layer of fussiness. So I like to do things on the actual machine. Yeah, I think you do your development on elsewhere, but the actual testing of the code you do on the actual machine. And then uh, one thing that you came up with during we were emailing back and forth, kind of you know, laying groundwork for the interview here. One thing you mentioned that you were quite involved with the BBS scene in the early eighties too, and you would swap code and get in contact with other Cocoa programmers and stuff. Um, I ran a BBS here and we did have some Cocoa people, but I didn't know too many Cocoa programmers. There's most people like, where can I pirate the latest game type thing? Yeah. Um, so what kind of people did you actually find in contact with that? Uh, and how did you, how did you meet them? And how did you guys end up swapping, you know, how to, how to code versus just being the little pirate boy in the corner? Yeah. I met, I met a lot of pirate swappers there. There's a lot of them out there. Um, but uh, there, there's a guy who wrote Whirly Bird Run and. Yeah. Brett Norman connected. And, and uh, he actually sent me a, a copy of his uh, assembly code for that, which I wish I could find it. <laughs> I've been digging through my disk, but uh, I got to look at how he he did his uh, program. And he was, uh, at the time he was like 14 and I sent him all my stuff. And, and, you know, we only, I guess in the old days when people talk about long distance, you know, it's like, they don't realize that, you know, yeah, you used to have to pay for that, but uh, yeah, you'd wait so till that, after midnight, so it's you know sixty percent off or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so probably only about forty-five minutes of actual talking. The rest of it was just sending messages via BBS, and uh, you know, I got a little bit of training from him. But uh, like I said, I, I was I was kind of impressed because it's like you know, fourteen years old, and he's published with uh, I think it was Spectral Associates or something like that yeah. that it got released under. And I'm sitting there with my stuff, and I'm like. Yeah, this kid's kicking my ass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, when Spectre had their one and only Prism Trophy, their big uh, game writing contest, uh, Whirly Bird Run was the first place winner, and he supposedly got a $2,000 bonus, plus a publishing with the Spectre for it and a trophy. And that oh, was supposed that right? to become an annual thing, but it never did. But uh, out of the three entries that actually placed and got prizes, his was first. And yeah, well-deserved. I, I mean, to fit Whirly Bird Run into 16K was just insane. Yeah, I think the last time I talked to him was probably like uh, 85. And uh, since then, I hadn't really come across any other real programmers that were on the Coco. Um, I, I felt Until like I was the only one out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we'll get into the, the first game you did, which is called Snafu, Snafus, based on the original 1981 television game Snafu. There's some changes there because the, uh, the television one is up to four players simultaneously on the screen. Yours has two. And you have all these little checkerboard of, of numbers. Is that score? Yeah, the, yeah. Each one, uh, it, it was like a grid thing where it's like, okay, the the bigger points would be on the top and bottom, so it would encourage you to go up and and try to feed on the outside, and uh, so it would be like five, four, three, two, and then one hundreds in the middle, and uh, um, I decided to go ahead and say, okay, well, it'll be it'll be like um, I guess kind of like it was it was similar to the way Tron. Uh, light riders would play or something like that but uh it's just really just when you take a square now that square becomes an obstacle and uh then i i gave you the option of having obstacles or not and i made up a bunch of stupid obstacles like i did my name the starship enterprise i made a dragon uh oh there's a, a rainbow in there um, yeah actually we'll, we'll show <laughs> off that actually i forgot to set this yeah. up ahead of time but ken waters has actually got some video of all your games so he's got them set up for each game and then uh mark if you can put ken's screen up here if he screen shares we'll uh kind of just show the games while we're discussing oh okay okay i think can we see that yeah snap us snap us yeah this is this is embarrassment time <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is but, your first one, right? Is this the first machine language game you completed or had you done a few others yes. and decided they're not good enough? Yes, I'd, I'd never completed a, a, a machine language game in, ever until this one. Uh, yeah, if the people familiar with Tron Light Cycles, this is a bit different. You can move diagonally too, not just up, down, left, right. So. Yeah, yeah, you can go diagonally. So if somebody went diagonal, you can cross over their diagonal. Yeah, and you had some little sound routines. We won't be playing the sound on here, but uh, so this one was actually published in the issue twenty of TND Software Tape Magazine, um, and it's kind of indicated you wrote it in '83. Um, I don't know. I guess the first thing is how did you kind of get hooked up with TND? And I think that was Tom Dykstrema or something like that. Was the guy's name? Yeah. Um, well, there was TND and Chromaset, and it was one of those things where I just realized, hey, these guys are selling programs i wonder if they pay people to get hey there's the dragons and uh and your name <laughs> yeah and the eagles <laughs> what was that one um i kind of stole that one from uh demon seed i think okay but uh yeah so i i uh i went ahead and got in touch with them and they said yeah we buy we buy software you gotta send us a uh, cassette or a disc and we'll evaluate it and we'll make you an offer and and uh, once I learned that, you know, it's like uh, when the bees find the 
the flowers, you know, they just keep going back there. So every time I had something I thought I might be able to get a little money for, I'd go ahead and send it off to them. And uh, I wound up selling them quite a few, actually. Yeah. So how did, how did, did you just write to them based on a rainbow ad or how did, or did you meet? Yeah, yeah I, saw, I saw the rainbow ads and I just got in touch with them with the contact uh, uh, that they had on there. You know, I don't know if it was, um, you know, they didn't have emails back then. So I, I think it was just a, a phone call. And then I physically sent them a copy of the program in the mail. Okay. Yeah. I just found and, my uh, note here is Tom Daikima. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. It was the guy who was kind of running it. TND. Yeah. Yeah. So and, what, what um, made you pick Snafu from the television? It was a game you just really liked yourself and that's when you wanted to pour it or is it because you'd never seen a Coco version of it or what was the. Oh, well, I, I played uh, Snafu on my, uh, my brothers in television and uh, a lot of stuff came from my brother because uh, able builders later on that, that was his company. But um, uh, I was playing and I'm like, I could make something like this. You know, I can't make all the sound effects and I can't make the high resolution graphics, but I could do something. And that's where I just came up with the idea of doing that. And then um, for some reason, back in the eighties, everybody thought if you take a name of something and you use it exactly the same way, you're going to get sued. So I said, well, I'll just, I'll use the same name, but I'll, I'll pluralize it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that's really the, uh, the, the actual source of it. So I'm sharing a screen here. I don't know if it's showing up in the stream yet. <clears throat> this is the final issue of Rainbow, which I believe was May of 1993. It was a newspaper format. And they had all these write-ups from the companies that had been involved with the Coco since the beginning. And this is a picture here of, I believe, Tom and his wife that ran T&D. And if you look down over here, in that area, you, you're actually mentioned by name with the help of some of our great authors, Andrew Pekruski, Terry Steen, and Tom Mix, authors, just to name a few. You published over 2,000 programs and one of years for the Coco. So they gave you a shout out too. I don't know if you've Holy ever cow. seen that before. I had no idea. I guess yeah, I think we're a great source for getting money. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what what were, like, I don't I have no idea what the uh, tape magazines, Chroma said, and, and TV, et cetera, what they paid for software. I'm assuming it's a one-shot payment, and that's, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it was dependent on what they thought of it. You know, like, I know some of them, they would uh, just, you know, it's like, oh, we'll give you $125. And I think one of them, I got 200 250 or something like that. Okay. But uh, it, it really just depended on what they what they thought of it. Okay. But uh, yeah, in but back in back in the eighties, you know, one hundred and fifty dollars. That was one hundred and fifty dollars back then. You <laughs> yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, and me and Ken are sitting there thinking that's American dollars in the eighties when our dollar was worth like, you know, like sixty cents or seventy cents. So yeah, we would have been and, rich. Um, I had the I had the Jarb software guys, and when I when they went defunct, they went ahead and bought the the uh, rights to the software that I had licensed to Jarb. I just had to change Jarb to T and D. And uh, when I when I made that change, then they would go ahead and uh, publish it and not have to worry about okay, we're violating somebody else's uh, license or something like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into a bit more detail. So the the next game that you released after this, just two months later, came out on Chromoset, which is a rival of T and D. And actually, Chromoset yeah. was the first tape magazine that Coco had. Uh, they'd actually previously published stuff for the Tier City Model One and Three too. 
Um, and that was Able Builders. And that was the April 1984 issue there. And that's kind of loosely based on Activision's Kaboom. It's got the little guy running around dropping rivets. Mm -hmm. um, but you added some extra gameplay to it. There's a platform that lowers down towards the player every time you miss a rivet. And then every 10 rivets you catch, you can push it back up and you can actually crush the guy at the top. Right. So you added some pretty cool things to it. I actually, honestly, I preferred over Kaboom myself. But this was also inspired, as you mentioned earlier, by your brother's company. You want to kind of explain how that, that all came about? Yeah, well, he, he was a contractor in uh, San Diego. And uh, he was working for uh, a union. And, and he just decided, you know what? I want to go out and do my own business. And so he, he said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to think of a name. And, and uh, he just thought it was really a good idea to call him his company Able Builders. So that if somebody said, you know, well, can you do this? And you go, hey, we're able. And uh, <laughs> so uh, he thought that was kind of a cool thing. And I was looking for something to use for my uh, my game that I was starting to form together. And I say, hey, I'm going to go with the construction theme. And because, uh, you know, the Kaboom was just, uh, I don't know if he was like a thief or a robber or something. Yeah. And he was just a menacing guy. And so I made this into the... Uh, into able builders that was based on the guy catching the rivets. So if you could catch the rivets, it would push it back up and you could crush him. But as he moves down, it gets harder and harder to catch the rivets. Yeah. And the game definitely gets faster and faster, just like the real Kaboom teams. Oh yeah. As he gets down there, it gets really tough. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's the one. If anybody wants to know where I was back then, I was really smart. I put my address in the, uh, in the program. So <laughs> <laughs> did you get a lot of feedback that way? I actually did that so that I could get people to send me mail. I didn't get anything, but, uh, um, it's kind of, it's kind of funny cause it's like, nobody would ever do that today. It's like, Oh, let me just dox myself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a totally different thing with privacy and stuff these days, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, that one was fun. I really now, was, was the pay like from the two one. different companies roughly the same? Like they did kind of the same thing as far as buying software or was it different between Chromoset and TMD? No, they, they were actually very competitive with each other. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things where I think they had their own feel of what they wanted to produce. So if you sent them something, you know, one might say, eh, we're not really interested in, you know, text editing, you know, but the other one might be like, oh yeah, you got a word processor. We'd love to put that out. But as far as, uh, price and you know uh, working with you they were about the same and they're both easily easy to work with etc yeah yeah I, I loved them both I was actually surprised there were two of them I'm like wow this is this is kind of like you know they're competing against each other for subscriptions all the time it and they're advertising in the rainbow so it's like you know it's like if the rainbow and hot cocoa if they were neck and neck all the time and they were advertising the same publications okay and then the next two games, you and they were released on the same issue of Rainbow on two different pages, 150 pages apart. I don't know why Rainbow did that, but Jarb had two one full-page ads, one in the first half and one in the second half of the magazine. And your two new games that appeared, I think it was the May 1984 issue of Rainbow magazine, um, actually had one on one of the pages and one on the other page, which is kind of weird. Um, so how did you hook up with Jarb? And I think you explained to me in the email the, the name Jarb, because I have no idea where that name came from, is actually based on the owner's names, isn't it? Yeah, it's Joe, Joe and Barbara. So they just put Joe and Barb together and made Jarb. 
Okay. And the two games you made were The Gunfighter and Grey Lady. Now, which yep. one of those did you actually do first programming-wise? Obviously, they released uh, Gunfighter. Okay. And that one also, I think, is your first one that had multi-voice music routines too, didn't it? Yeah, it had um, multi-voice uh, music. And uh, um, it was the first one where I actually had something that was like two people meant to be interactive rather than competing against each other. You had to actually face off with each other, you know, one-on-one -on -one shooting, trying to uh, shoot one, dodge the bullets and everything like that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a two player only game. That was the, about the only issue I had, especially during the pandemic, trying to play yourself because it kind of gets boring quick, <laughs> but uh, there, there was, it was based on, there's two arcade games, black and white ones from the seventies. There was um, gun fight. I think it was, it was 1975, mm -hmm. <clears throat> which basically just had your two players shooting each other. You had six bullets and that was it. And then two years later, Boot Hill came out where they added the cactus and the moving wagon. And the way you describe it is that, um, you know, different items that are on the play field react differently to the bullets. Like some of them will absorb them. Some of them will bounce them back. So there's a bit of strategy where you can actually ricochet bullets off the, you know, to, to hit your opponent's stuff. So right. it's, it's, it's definitely based on the later one, much more than the first one. And of course, you're oh, yeah. the color, so it's much better. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, you know, I was, I was like, okay, uh, that's where I had to start worrying about things like collision detection. And, and I was looking at it and I was thinking, well, why don't I code everything so that uh, red would be a ricochet, um, the blue, which should be green, like a cactus, it would shoot right through it. Uh, white, the bullet would get stuck inside of it. And, you know, black won't be affected at all. It just keeps moving. And that's basically how I came up with getting the, uh, getting the behavior of the, uh, the bullets. So, um, you know, there's a few places on the wagon where there's uh, I get orange by mixing red and yellow. So if you hit it in one place, it'll or red and white. So if you hit it in one place where there's a white pixel, it'll it'll stick. But if you hit it just over where the red pixel is, it'll ricochet off of the off of the wagon. So um, it, it was it was fun, <laughs> you know, learning learning how to how to look at a screen to figure out what you're going to do next. And here I'm showing the actual uh, the May 1984 ad uh, from Jarb. Uh, and this is the one that actually had a picture. Yeah. Um, now, were you involved with the artwork at all? Was that come from Jarb themselves, or? Yeah, I was. I was actually really surprised. I went down to visit them, and uh, they they had shown me the artwork uh, on a, uh, I think it was eleven and a half, eight and a half by eleven uh, cardstock that some artists had drawn for them, and they gave me that one. And I'm not sure where it's at. I, I hope, hopefully. I will find it someday, but I don't know if I still have it or not. But uh, they also did another one for Gray Lady, which I don't think I've ever seen printed, where it's a submarine coming up out of the water with uh, seaweed on it and things like that. Okay. <clears throat> and one thing I, I noticed in the ad here that uh, we didn't see too often, this was a very brief history of time in, in the Coco's life, where they not only sold games for the Coco or, or programs for the Coco on disc and on cassette, but this is when they were also selling them for the AM disc cartridges, mm -hmm. which didn't last too long. Did you actually have one of those or is that something Jarb did in their own as well? No, I, I didn't have one of those, but uh, Jarb, if you look at their stuff, they, they do hardware and software and they, they uh, you know, some of their stuff was, you know, we sell stuff that's from other companies. So if you're ordering something from Jarb, you could also order something that, you know, Tom Mix sold or something like that. So they tried to make themselves as uh, universal as possible to keep their sales going. So if somebody's like, oh, well, I want it on this media, you know, it's like, oh, well, we don't do that. It's like, well, you just lost the sale. So. <laughs> <laughs>
And how, how did these sell through Jarb? I mean, Jarb, like you said, was kind of a mixture of hardware and software. It wasn't a pure gaming company like, say, Atomix or a Spectrum type thing. So just yeah, they, out, how did they sell? Yeah, they were all just mail order. Um, you know, back then it wasn't very complicated. You, you call them up and um, I think in one of their ads or maybe at the bottom of the screen on that shot, it says, uh, you know, check money order or uh, COD. And I'm like, wow, I haven't heard COD for a long time. <laughs> No charge cards, please. Yeah. <laughs> Even have an after hours BBS there too listed that Jay had noticed before. Mm. Yeah, they did have that too. But uh no, it's it's just a uh, a man and his wife running they had a little uh you know like I, I want to say strip mall, but it, it wasn't even a strip mall, it was just like a little office plaza and they were on the second floor. Um with a, uh, a really small storefront, but, you know, people come in there and they'd be playing video games in there or something like that, trying stuff out. But it had all the, uh, the uh, Ziploc bags with floppies on the wall. <laughs> that brings back memories. And then in the same issue of Rainbow, the second game, which I'll let Ken bring up the gameplay of first and I'll show the ad afterwards, which is Grey Lady, which is actually, I think my, my favorite out of your games, personally. This is a good bit of variety as you go through different levels. Yeah, I, I really, uh, I really am glad that people like that. I, I was surprised because I thought people would get kind of like, oh, this is just shooting ships, you know. But <laughs> after talking to some people, it's like, no, they they did find it challenging. Um, which it's really based on you know getting a certain percentage, and I, I think it's forty percent of the ships you got to get, and. Um, if they were all the same speed and they were all the same size, it'd be really easy. But I got, yeah. you know, the PT boats, the destroyers, the carriers, the cruisers, and they all go at different rates. So you can't just sit there and shoot them as they come out of the gate. You know, they'll get right by you. Yeah. <clears throat> so you got the time limit. Like on this first level here we're seeing now, you basically just try to get your 40% of the ships by the time the timer runs out. Right. And then you have the second level, you have the obstacles, their mines or think or something, these things that you can hit, but they don't get destroyed and you have to shoot around them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the mines right there, and uh, you know you can chip away at them, but you know I think you have to shoot them like eight times to to completely destroy a mine and get it out of your way. But uh, and then yeah, they start and, shooting uh, back in the later levels. They start dropping you know depth charges at you, and then you got a fourth screen, which is a combination. You have to shoot around the mines and dodge depth charges all at once. Right? Did you guys make it to a depth? Yeah, there you go. I like the depth charges. <laughs> you got to hit the depth charges because if they get down to your level, they explode. You, you die. They, they kill you. Yeah, it's <laughs> yep. done. So you're still trying to get your 40% of the ships. At the meantime, if you let even one of those depth charges hit the bottom, you die. So you got a lot of yeah. things to keep track of. Yeah, maybe we should have done that one for Game on Challenge. <laughs> we haven't done it yet, so it, it can still come up. <laughs> So I'll show the ad from that one as well. The, the, the very first ad anyway. Um, you weren't the headliner on this this page. No, that, that adventure game generator, that was really popular. And the same artist did the uh, drawing for that one. Okay. And then yours is here on the bottom, new gray lady. And uh, no, and then also once again, the Ambisk uh, cartridge included. And it also supported speech if you had an SEO1 based voice pack, which I thought was interesting. Is that something you had a voice pack and you wanted to use it for something or did they tell yeah. you to do that? Or? <clears throat> I, I really wanted to uh, try to 
get voice and everything. I, and I didn't have a, I didn't have much of anything, but I did have that sound pack and uh, or the voice cartridge. And so, you know, it would it would tell you mines and and uh, uh, it would say things to you. You know, it's like give you your score or something like that. But it, it was mostly just adding uh, a little frill at the end, you know, where they would announce, you know, mines, captain's mind, you know, or something like that. Or, yeah, and if you if you cleared a screen, it would say full steam ahead. <laughs> Got a question from AC's 8-Bit Zone in the chat here. said, uh, does Terry still have a source assembly for his games? Uh, some of them I do. And... I have a lot of files that are like, you know, if somebody wants to retype it. <laughs> <laughs> We've had, had people do that before, so. <laughs> but uh, it's really sad when you're working on a project and you don't have, you don't have a, a hard copy. Uh, some of the stuff I worked on that I just kind of abandoned and stopped working on. I was like, you know what? I really want to open that back up again and, and mess with it. But I have no... Uh, no source code. So I just know what it looked like when I was working with it. And I can't tell you possibly how I was doing all the routines and I don't want to go back and rebuild it. So um, <laughs> now you'd mentioned but, in our emails back and forth that uh, there's some disks you have that are giving you errors and you can't get to the. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, um, Oh God, I've got about 200 disks altogether. And I've been I've been going through. I even got a uh, I bought a new floppy drive from somebody in uh, in Japan off of eBay, and I hooked it up, and it's like, hey, this one this one's a little bit better. I can actually read some stuff off of it. You know, I I, I don't have a grease weasel, so. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually asked if David's still on the call. I don't know if he is, but he's actually been working with some of those low level ones that does like flux transitions and stuff, so you can actually pull that out that is otherwise ungettable. Yeah, so yeah. If, if he might be able to help you with some of those if, if you have some discs that you just can't read. Maybe send them to him, and he can, or bring them yeah, to the fast and give them to him. And then he can some, to... I, I might actually use him for that because I don't have the patience for it. I don't think, and um, I, I also have the added problem that I've got um, IBM disc mixed with uh, Coco disc. So I might be sitting there trying to find something, and it's like, oh no, this is a this is an IBM PC disc. So throw that in the trash. <laughs> So these being your two games released through a commercial company versus a tape magazine type thing, was that something you had tried shopping the first two games around to other companies as well? And they just said, that's not what we're looking for right now. Or is this yeah, when I, you I, decided I've published two through these guys, Chroma 17 D I think I can do better and actually get up to like a full blown software company. Yeah. And, and that's, that's basically what I did is I, I, I took the, uh, the same way that I did the T and D and Chroma set just went ahead and made uh you know, cover letters essentially saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a software author. I'd like to like to have you evaluate, decide whether or not you'd like to sell my, sell my software. And then I just went through the rainbow magazine and I just picked people out and said, I'm going to try these guys. And, you know, I've made, uh, I, th I think I sent off to about 10 or so. And, you know, a lot of them, it's like, well, there's no way I'm going to get Tom mix, you know, but who knows where I'm going to get listed and Jarb, they, they, they were kind of like, you know, hey, we sell software from all over the place. Uh, you know, we'd like to give you a shot and you can be one of our original uh, authors because they had, uh, 
I think there were three or four of us that were authors. And there was one guy who got in there doing hardware because he did a lowercase ROM adapter board. And I think that was about the limit of their actual people that were working there with them. Uh, everything else was third-party software through them. And then a little bit later, like you mentioned earlier, that these got ended up going on to TND later on. And I think that's after JARB shut down, which must have been, what, what 85, 86, somewhere around there? Yeah, I don't know when they shut down. I just know um, they're great people, but, you know, one day the uh, um, I didn't have any checks coming in for a few weeks. <laughs> and then I said, I, I wonder what's going on. I called and I didn't get any answers. And then uh, the rainbow ad stopped. And I'm like, okay, it must have been really bad for them because they didn't even call to say goodbye, you know, but, oh, wow. uh, you know, um, things can get tough. You know, if you, if you're a couple of uh, weeks from being able to pay your mortgage versus pay the rent on your, uh, your office space, you know, it's like, well, let's just sell all the software off to other people that we bought them from or third party sources and, and close the store. And I think that's probably, probably what happened. So you weren't involved with that transition all you just kind of found it after the fact? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just kind of uh, became aware that they weren't there anymore. And uh, like I said, they're great people. Um, you know, it, it was it was fun. I went to a, uh, a Rainbow Fest for the premiere of uh, Gunfighter at a Rainbow Fest and uh, got to meet Lonnie Falk and uh, Steve Bajork. And, and it, it was just, you know, it was like all of a sudden, oh, wow, all these people that I, that I knew, they were all here. And, and, you know, I was meeting people for the first time that, that kind of like, oh, they were just a name in a magazine. And uh, that, that was because of them, you know, they got, they got me able to go someplace like that. And that was fantastic. But yeah, uh, and you actually got to meet Steve at some uh, user group meetings and stuff too, didn't you? At some point? Yeah. 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 We wound up inviting him to our uh, color computer uh, user group meeting in uh, San Bernardino is where I lived at that time. And, uh, well, actually, you can look it up on Able Builders if you want to know exactly where I live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your address is right there. <laughs> yeah. Or former address. But, uh, yeah, so he came out and he he, uh, he brought out his uh, his computer that he programmed on to show us, you know, because he, he, didn't, he didn't write in the Coco. He wrote in something else and then fed it down uh, to the uh, ROM port so that he could feed directly into the computer. And I was like, well, that's pretty impressive. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, so he was cross-assembling on on another platform of some kind. I don't know what machine he was using, but uh, but we thought that was kind of cool. And you know, he shared a few ideas on how to do routines and, and everything. And that's where I got the idea for how to do the the two tone harmony music and everything, because he described it enough that I was able to. Oh, yeah, I know what you're doing. I think I can figure that out. And you you know, you make your own algorithm to to do what they described. And voila, I got my own uh, music routines. Okay. And then uh, just out of curiosity with JARB, <clears throat> how were sales there? Like, um, I, I'm assuming you got a percentage cut of whatever the final price was and how many copies did you sell of each or you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, they sent me uh, royalty checks and um, I think I probably made about as much from JARB as I made from T&D when, when it went to them because uh, it, was, uh, it was a little sparse and I, I'm not really you know, I have to rely on them as to whether or not I was actually getting all of the royalties. But if uh, if I was getting as many sales as what I was getting checks for, then 
you know, yeah, they, they were probably having a hard time keeping going, but um, altogether over, over the months, I think, I think, uh, I think I did okay. Okay. Yeah, and then they got released on TND. It's the Gunfighter came out in issue 43, January 86, and Grey Lady on issue 44 the next month in February of 86. So it looked like the transition went fairly quick. And TND and Chromoset both had a mostly standing rule that they would publish one ML game per issue. They wouldn't double up. Though occasionally after they started getting Tom Mix stuff and stuff, they would you know have one original and then one of the Tom Mix ones. But so did you, you did you get paid a flat rate by TND the second time, like when they started getting these? To sell oh yeah yeah everything was flat rate with them okay so they actually like, they didn't buy the rights from jarb and then just you know okay we've got these games now because they were you know owned by jarb type thing they actually paid you another bit saying these are your original games we're now selling yeah jarb, jarb was licensed uh as a royalty and when they stopped uh making payments and uh staying in contact i was free to go ahead and sell it to somebody else because as long as they're not uh making sales I was able to license it to somebody else. So that's why I was able to transition over. So they lost their privilege to be able to, to distribute. And I sold the rights outright to uh, TND and Chromaset at that point. Okay. Um, the next game up <clears throat> I've got here is uh, Balloon Fire, which is rather famous because that's when we keep bugging you about. And uh, that was on TND number 27, October 1984. Now, you mentioned in our email correspondence a couple of background stories to this one, including experiments with using random numbers to generate sound, and also the original game you were trying to clone when you started it, and it ended up being something totally different. Um, so do you want to kind of explain the story behind that? Yeah, sure. Um, a lot of things are always experimental. You know, you're trying out different things, and uh, um, with Grey Lady, I found that making random numbers and sticking them into the sound port gave me, you know, what could be used for explosions. And so I said, okay, let me, let me do a couple other experiments where I would do random numbers, but I would send them off at different frequencies. And, and that's when I started getting things like the pop sounds and, and, uh, uh, the, when I did the explosion on, uh, on gray lady, I essentially had the same explosion sound that I did on, uh, balloon fire but uh i was able to sync it with the uh with the screen controls so that it shook and it changed color and things like that but uh originally i was going to try to do something like Yan, and uh i had the little i had the little things made where the balloons were going to come out and i was starting to get ready to work on making the pig and and all that stuff and uh steve Jork made uh Yan, and i said well I'm done making Puyan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I actually got the official license one out from that. So. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to make some kind of cheesy knockoff, but it's like, who the heck's going to want to want to pay for this when when they can pay for that? So, uh, you know, with the great music and the animation and all this stuff that he does, so uh, I just went ahead and said, well, instead of shooting from the side, let me go ahead and shoot the balloons rising up, uh, kind of like a inverse space invaders, and. Um, I fiddled with it for a while and that's what I came up with. Yeah, that's no, actually a fun game. It's simple, but it's fun. Yeah, I, I really loved uh, when I went to that uh, Coco Fest, there was a guy there with a stand-up arcade machine and, and he was he had it on there and I got to play it in an arcade machine. And he said uh, he was 14 years old and they got it uh, on the cassette tape when uh, when it came in and he played it and he was like, this is great. And so 
he said uh, that was his one thing he'd ask his dad can i play balloon fire for a while today and he's like did you finish your homework and and i'm like are you serious my game was used for somebody to get incentive to do their homework and have their <laughs> free time on the computer so that was like a real compliment i was i was real happy to hear that and tell me is that henry Reichfeld that brings the big arcade cabinet with name running coca stuff to the fests I feel bad because I don't I don't remember his name. I've got pictures of him. I think that is Henry. Yeah, he's yeah, he's from Canada too. So he brings it down from Ontario. And he's always brings it out only for a limited amount of time. And I've been busy with seminar stuff. I've never had a chance to even try the thing out. So hopefully yeah. this year. But yeah, that's that's how I got in touch with Stevie because uh I was uh I was just kind of cruising YouTube one night um and I typed in uh typed in my name on YouTube just to see what would come up. <laughs> Did you find all your addresses or? <laughs> yeah. You know, you never know what's going to, what's going to come up. And it's like, um, then, uh, I saw Stevie playing uh, balloon fire with his kids. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, as a matter of fact, there he is right there playing balloon fire with his kids. <laughs> but, uh, so I wound up getting in touch with Stevie, uh, from that uh that youtube video and and he's like you want to come on the show and i was like you have a show <laughs> <laughs> and That's even after watching you probably have the same question so <laughs> yeah so that that's that's what got me back into the cocoa world again was finding out oh there's there's still people out there you know i just assumed that we were just all on our own and and didn't know each other and and if you were messing with your computer it was just you by yourself yeah. So that that was it's good that that uh, Stevie reviewed it there and you actually found it. Otherwise, this this conversation wouldn't be happening. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The next one you uh, if did. You wouldn't have found it. You wouldn't have hit that couch. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's like oh. Stevie is like Mr. Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your next one in issue fifty three of TND, November nineteen eighty six. So this is released after the Coco three was out, but I don't know if you wrote it before the Coco three was out. It's a Coco One Two game, obviously. It's Kick Guy, which is a clone of the arcade game Kickman. So Ken, if you want to bring up the video for that one, um, which is an arcade game that I didn't play too much back in the day, but I've played it a bit more recently on Mame. And uh, yours is, you know, pretty close. It's not, you know, visually perfect with all the you know, backgrounds and stuff, but it's pretty decent. The only thing, and this is something Ken and I noticed when we were trying when we did the game on Challenge this week, the live version of it, we went through all your games basically. We concentrated Mrs. Pack, which is the the one that was actually officially the challenge. We decided to go through all your games and trying to time the kick to actually kick the balloon back up seems to be a bugger. I don't know if that was on purpose or we're just no, sucky it was, game players. <laughs> it was it was one of those things where I looked at it, it's like, you know, this it, it's kind of flaky. Some of the controls, like I didn't like the controls the way they came out in Miss Pac-Man, honestly, but uh, trying to know that the balloon is hitting the ground and the button is being pushed at the same time, but not letting the guy just hold down the button and move his character around led to it just it, it it was kind of it's kind of fussy you know i guess is the best term for it but yeah. uh yeah i didn't i didn't really pursue this one too much because quite honestly i didn't like the look of the character at the, at the, on the screen and i'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you do have the different stages like the arcade game like the first one you're just popping balloons in your head the next one you're collecting like rows of balloons on your head type thing oh that's right yeah, I forgot about that. Because if I remember when you kick them, they do like this wiggle up there. And I can't yeah. remember if you can actually connect it on the way up or if you got to wait for them to come back down. 
but this is this is like the arcade game. It does this too in the second stage. So there's where you kick it up and it goes off. Well, I forgot I put the second stage on there. So it's, it's a pretty decent clone, honestly. I was going to ask Ken, what, what did you think of this game and you're playing it? Because I know you were a bit frustrated with the controls too, as was I, but it looks like you got better at it because when I saw you on the live stream, I don't think you even made it to the level two. Yeah, I've got uh, figuring out how to actually play it. So I, I can make it to the second level most times now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. A game where you improve, like if it's just static and it's always the same and there's nothing really incentivizing you to play, you want a game that actually... I can do better next time. I did do better. I can do even better yet type thing. So, And then uh, <clears throat> the last one, which was our game on Challenge of the Week, is Mrs. Pack. And this is one you kind of requested. It's um, Now, there's a bit of a background on, on creating it. <coughs> Excuse me. That you actually use Bjork blocks to draw all the, the shapes and the mazes and stuff on this. Yeah. Um, and then you just like it, it's basically a tile based character based cell game, so it doesn't move smooth, which is the one complaint I would have, I guess, because it makes yeah. it really hard to navigate corners. <laughs> but uh, you also did some extra things like the original arcade game has four mazes, and you actually have eight in yours, so you have a lot more playability to come up with. And you've yeah. got the fruit actually bouncing, which not all Cocoa versions of Mrs. Pac Man did. I think Miss Gobbler did, but uh, Miss Maze, which is probably the one that looks the closest to the arcade, has all the multi voice music. It doesn't. It's just static. Yeah, I was I was actually surprised. We were having our conversation, and I didn't realize that nobody else had the fruit moving around. I'm like, you know, well, you have to have the fruit moving around. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, uh, no, they all just showed up in the middle like the original Pac-Man did, and you had to go down and catch it. But uh, no, this one, you got to pursue it. And um, for the most part, I tried to keep the screens as close as possible to what the original uh, uh, Miss Pac-Man game was. But, uh, you know, I did deviations and then I got to do my own creative things in there later on. But uh, I don't know if anybody played it where they get really far up there, but I, I've got like five of the keys, you know, so you get like the strawberry, apple, orange, pretzel, you know, you can get you can get all those things on there. I didn't get that far. I think I got up to the third maze during the live game stream. That's as far as I got. Now we did it twice, I think. So you made it to the radish. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess was this the first game you'd used uh, Steve York's Bjork Blocks graphics editing? Like it's basically meant for editing character graphics and then editing maps based on those character graphics. So it's good for drawing mazes or backgrounds, etc. Was this the very first time you'd ever used that utility? No, the first one I did was uh, Kick Guy, which uh, when I when I saw how my character came out on the background, I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And then uh, Pac-Man lends the uh, option that, hey, if you just draw walls, you know, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so <laughs> get so I, I used it to make the uh, the map with the with the walls so my character would show up without any kind of background. And uh, that made it a lot easier to have him look like a real Pac-Man character. Okay. But I, I, I did use the blocks for everything. So I had, oh, am I frozen? You're unfrozen now. You were for I'm frozen now. Um, but yeah, since I was since I was using them just basically for the obstacles, uh, that made things a lot easier. But I did use them for, like, when I made a full screen, it would have the the dot backgrounds and the energizer on the background. So when you're 
when your character's moving around, I was actually reading the map, not really caring about what the screen looked like. And it would react based on, oh, there's a dot there. Um, so I'll make the chirp sound like you ate a dot or there's a power pill there. So I'll do the energizer. But uh, when you pass over it, I always made Pac-Man uh, character erase its background. So whatever was there is now gone. And in the map, I would change it uh, so that it would know that the, the uh, whatever the dot's gone. I think I okay. again. <clears throat> yeah, your audio is still coming through, but maybe somebody's watching Netflix, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we get into, like, there's, there's two other chunks to the interview of, of the stuff you've done I want to get into. Uh, the first one will be non-game projects because uh, you've done some utility stuff too and uh, just general you know, productivity programs. And then also there's a bunch of games that are you never completed or you know started and you've, we've got pieces of them. You've got some that you haven't been able to read the disc, but there's little bits and pieces we can show. But before we get into all that, I think we'll have a commercial break first, just so anybody like me needs to go grab another glass of water before my voice completely goes. So uh, Mark, if you want to do a commercial break there and give everybody a chance to go take a pee break or grab something to drink, and we'll come back and talk about some of your productivity and utility software. Okay. okay. Sounds good. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original colored computer, the Coco 3, and the world renowned exclusive French Canadian Coco 2. Radio Shack. Coco Talk would like to thank our patrons who sponsor our program. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Bowden Aaron, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Aaron Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Danielle Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style. Ken Riker, Malfunk, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Michael Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S, Tony C, and William Athink. Thank you ever so much, patrons. We will return after these messages. Hi, I'm Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire and other amazing games on the color computer. And you're listening to Stevie Stroh on Coco Talk. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself a, a deluxe 
travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité. Le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. This is Ken Reichard, author of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. And you're experiencing Coco Talk? As you start your journey to Coco Fest, you notice the road ahead is littered with rogue furniture. You realize you are driving on the Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. The game for the Tandy Color Computer 1, 2, and 3. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Stunning low resolution visuals, digital to analog converted sound. 100% machine language and basic. What are they saying about Nightmare Highway? Nightmare Highway. Steve B. York says, of all the games released this year, this is one of them. Elkert S. Boyle says, this will not be on my site. Nick Marionette says, crikey, look at the size of that croc. Get your complimentary copy of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway at cancanmakeit.com. If you got it for free, you paid too much. Hey, welcome, welcome back, back. everyone. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so before we get into discussing your productivity and utility software, I thought we'd get a chance for the panel and the chat to uh, make any comments or questions they have on like games that you'd commercially released, either through TND, Chromoset, or through JARP. Uh, we did one comment here from Scott Cooper, said the mazes look awesome in this game, talking about Mrs. Pack. And uh, just wondering, anybody else, like, uh, we'll probably save some of the gameplay of Mrs. Pack specifically for the Game on Challenge segment. Uh, but uh, if anybody has any comments on some of the other games, like Balloon Fire and Grey Lady, et cetera. I know, like I've said before, Grey Lady is one of my favorites. And it's based on an old uh, arcade game called Sea Hunt, if I remember correctly, isn't it? Yes. Oh, I just have to say that there's definitely some uh, ideas there for upcoming game on challenges. So, you know, Terry, if you want to join us for when we do pick more of your games, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be picking some of them in the near future. Absolutely. Yeah, then It'd you can come ridicule honor. all of us for how badly we play them. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else in the panel get a chance to try some of the the, the wide variety of games that uh, Terry has in his library? I tried a whole bunch of his games. I tried a whole heap of them today, but um, my favorite of all of them has to be the Able Builders one. I found it absolutely fantastic. I'm actually, I, I've even got it set up here. I don't know if you can see this here, and maybe you can't see it, but I've yeah, got it set up here. I was playing it a bit this evening as well. But it is a fantastic game. Now, I, I'm only playing it in black and white because on the PAL Coco, it doesn't come up in color. But 
but it's the first game of your lot that I started playing because Curtis gave me a list of um, of most of the games that you did. So I spent this morning, because it's nearly nighttime with me now, but I spent this morning playing these. And Able Builders was the first one I played. And I came back to it. And I've been playing it for an hour or two today. I really, I really love that game. I really do. I really love it. But um, yeah, because honestly, uh, Terry, I, I was aware of you in the whole Nightmare Highway thing, but I didn't know who you were, if, if that's okay to say. So, um, so, You're way over um, in France. You're forgiven. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's good. But um, no, I was really, I was blown away by this particular one. I, I have to, it's a game that I will be coming back to again and again and again. And I'm going to feature it in a couple of weeks' time on my, on my little gamey channel thing that I'm kind of playing around with. But um, no, it is. It's, it's, it's a great game. It really is. Um, because I've played, I've played like of Kaboom and, uh, and Popcorn and all those kind of things. But I love the fact that you're kind of there's there's something playing against you and you can kind of repel it and I really mm -hmm. I really like that it's it's an extra dimension in it that um that really it makes for a great game it really does so yeah, I, I totally say agree. thumbs up on that one I said well, fantastic thank you very much oh you're more than welcome has and your son had a chance to play it yet oh. or what's that has your son had a chance to play it yet no no he didn't no he was still in bed when i was playing this he's impossible <laughs> to get up in the morning so um no he didn't but i will i will show it to him all right but he probably won't be impressed because when they're in black and white he's not crazy about him so um <laughs> what can i do but uh but no i fantastic game absolutely and fantastic game. i'd recommend it to anybody to play that one that one i i, I know curtis you said that the, the one with the bow and arrow there what's that one called Balloon fire. Yeah, yeah, that one. That I played a bit. It was good, but doesn't hold a candle to this one. You see what I did wow. there with Nightmare Higher Reflects? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but there, there, that's all I have to say on it. I'm not going to say any more. But oh, uh, right. fantastic. No, thanks for the feedback. Uh, it's, it's nice to know that uh, somebody really caught on the, uh, the, you know, I was trying to give you something that you're competing against somebody else. And that that's what that's what you fed on. I, I appreciate that. Well, you 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 notice it in the first five seconds because I was playing and I was saying, "What's going on?" The thing is, and then it felt to me that you you have to collect the number of the little thingies falling down before it actually starts going back up. And that was a dynamic that really I found it to be absolutely fantastic. I, I have to say that. So no, well well done, well done. All these years later, from somebody who knows nothing about programming, well done. You did a good job. Wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> So there you go. I'm going to mute myself now. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else in the panel has tried some of the games there wants to chip in a bit of a mini review? Uh, I know I some of you might not have no. had time yet. But... Go ahead, Mark. I guess that would be a no. Okay. Play well, you you played Mrs. Pack, Mark, didn't you? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I played the, the, the Mrs. Pack and I did some of the uh, Grey Lady. What was your favorite stage. out of those two? I think I like Grey Lady better. Uh, it seemed to, well, the controls did respond a little better. Oh, and yeah, I could, uh, I could get a little better score with that one. Okay. So, <clears throat> and in the chat, uh, James Diffin Dapper says he remembers playing Sea Hunt, the arcade game that Grey Lady was based on. So, um, so if we have any more comments that come in, because sometimes the chat's you know, delayed 30, 40 seconds here from Wes talking. So if I catch anything, I'll, I'll mention them. 
So the next part we'll get into or part two <clears throat> is your non-gaming projects. And you had quite a few of these here. Um, one or two of you already kind of mentioned in passing. So the first one I was going to talk about was called New Command. And this is for 64K Cocoa 1s and 2s. did not work on the Cocoa 3, but it was basically extensions to basic. And I've actually gone through and dumped the program to figure out what, what commands you had in there. You actually had a help system. Now, I can't get it to run right now. I don't know if there's like a ROM change or something. We'll have to figure that out. Um, but you added a fair number of commands to it. So you added the DOS command, which is basically the same as the one that came out in the 1.1 uh, disk basic. You had zap, which will reverse the text screen. So that changes, you know, the negative characters to positive and positive to negative. Uh, home, which just puts the cursor at the top screen without clearing it. So it's like a print at comma zero. You had a wait, which would wait for a key press character. So that would actually pause the program until you hit a specific key you specified, which is kind of cool. Help, which actually was would have been really nice if I could get it to work properly, but uh, I did find it going dumping through it. Um, then you had shift. This was a cool one. So you could shift the screen and you had shift U, shift D, shift L, shift R, and then a row or column number. You could shift the screen in any of the four directions. So I must, was this on graphic screens and text screens or just graphic screens? Do you remember? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> um, I think it was, I think it was on uh, high res or or text, but I can't remember. I just remember that there's a lot of things that um, I wanted to try to give people the ability to do that I found you could do with machine language, but with basic, it would, you know, like uh, input a string, you know, or a string equals n keys. And if the a string equals, it's like, don't do all that, just say wait. Or if I want to just shift a row, I could shift a row. And so that's that's the kind of stuff that I was trying to give the capability on. Yeah, that's a really good one because you can kind of fake up scrolling just by printing off the edge of the bottom, but you get a kind of flickery effect of the last line. Yeah. And this way you can actually do it in all, and you could pick the column like you didn't have to scroll the whole screen. You could just start over here and scroll half of it or something. So that would be really mm -hmm. good for writing basic arcade games, I think. Uh, other commands you added, you had P saved. Now this saved graphics pages into the upper 32K of RAM. So you had more graphics pages you could save there and you could restore them back to the regular ones. Yeah. Uh, so it gives you a lot of stuff where you could pre-draw screens instead of having to render them in or load them in off disk or whatever. Um, Pre-restore, which would restore a graphics page from the upper 32 into the regular space. P-zap, which would inverse a graphics page. So if you want to do like a flash for an explosion or a player died or something like that. Um, R-speed, which set the computer operational speed. Now this I wanted to ask you a bit because this is running on a 64K RAM. Now the, the speed up poke for the Cocoa 1 and 2 speeds up ROMs. Unless somebody burned this on a ROM, it wouldn't do anything because you're running in RAM mode, I would presume. Mm -hmm. So was this something you actually planned on selling at some point uh, for people to burn ROMs as an extension to base? No, it, was, it wasn't part of the plan. It was just me writing some uh, extended commands. And... Um, I didn't really think about it too much as to whether or not it would work as an all RAM or, or ROM RAM, but uh, I, I guess I'd have to go back and find out if it actually worked properly. <laughs> <clears throat> Another one, this one intrigues me because I would like you to kind of describe what exactly it does. You had one called noise. So this creates a noise and you can specify three values, the pitch, the volume, and the duration. Yep. So to me, that's kind of sounds like the play command, but was this meant more for sound effects as this thing's faster or what? Was... Yeah, th that, yeah, that would be sound effects. So like if you made it really loud and really short, it would be like a percussion, like a gunshot. And if you made it 
uh, really low and really long, it, you know, it'd be like a, a rumble in the background kind of thing. So since you didn't have the ability to make a random sound generation in basic, now you do, and you can use it for generating different kinds of uh, gunshots, explosions, rumbles, uh, anything like that. Like I was talking about with balloon fire, that's that's where I was experimenting with those kind of effects. Okay. <clears throat> Another one you added in was pause. We could pause for so many, I'm assuming either ticks or seconds. I'm not sure what the specification, but basically just tell the game to pause for a bit without doing a for next loop. R copy, which is like P copy, except it copies in the upper 32K RAM back and forth. So that way you can copy things around there as well. Then you had the fast, fast and slow commands, which of course would be to kick the double speed and on or off. Now, this one I wanted to ask you about. This one did briefly run and then it crashed when I tried it. Um, like I said, it might be a ROM compatibility problem because I'm using later ROMs, like color basic and extended basic. Maybe some of the hooks are a little different. But you had one called debug on. And it describes in your help causes a variable list to print out on screen when an error occurs. Oh, so okay, unlike yeah. regular debug, which just tells you the, uh, the line number that it's currently executing, doesn't really tell you what the heck's going on. This would actually do a variable dump. As soon as you got an error, it's like an on error go to, except it dumps out the variable. So you can see like X is set to this and A string set to this. So you can more easily figure out what was going on. That's a pretty, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I feature. forgot about that. Yeah, that, that was something that if you're uh, running a basic program, every time it, every time it crashes or stops, um, you always sit there and say, okay, print A string, print D string, print yeah. D string. <laughs> You're well, manually you don't need to. <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty cool. I actually got that to run and it did show a couple and it seems to only do initialized variables too. It's like just picking random stuff. You did a great job just uh, digging into it. <coughs> I don't have any docs and it looks like you you figured it all out. <laughs> well, you had help built in. I just dumped the, the help strings as I was going, oh, oh I is just, that what you did? Okay. Yeah, I cheated. Um <laughs> Another one you had is Word, which is like a L peak on the Kogo 3, which is giving you a 16-bit, well, actually not like L peak, it's, it's a 16-bit return. So you can read 16-bit numbers as a single yeah. command rather than reading two peaks. And then you had LSR and LSL for logical shift right and logical shift left. Now, I I don't know how those worked. Is that something where you'd specify like a memory location or is that something where you take like the floating point variable? And I remember right, you, you'd use it with a particular variable. Okay. So like you'd say logical shift right B and then whatever value is in B, it would give you a logical shift right on that B or on that B variable. Okay. Because you could use that for like, you know, a quick times two multiplier, quick time divide by two, or you could use it to like shift graphics by pixels and stuff. So that, that exactly. Cool. Yeah. You, you could now, you could now work with things on the binary level rather than sitting there saying, okay, I'm going to uh, multiply this by two and then and it and all that stuff. It's like, no, just, shift right and stick it in memory if you need it to be moved over to the right. Another one you add in, this is <clears throat> one that returns a value, which is pages, and that returns a number of high-risk pages reserved in the upper 32K, because you could reserve as many as you wanted that you had room for. Uh, speed, which returns the current speed setting, whether you're in high-speed poker or low-speed, which is kind of nice. Uh, now we're getting into fancy math, so I'll have to let you talk about these because I don't understand this stuff to begin with. <clears throat> so you have, uh, well, pi, I know, that returns the value of pi. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have factorial, fact sub x, which is uh, x factorial, which is, I think, if I remember right, factorials, that's like if it's factorial three, it's like three times two times one or something like that. Yeah, just multiply by all the integers back towards one. Okay. And then the ones I really don't understand, you'll definitely have to explain trans x and trans y, which you uh, in the help label as transforms x coded from a 3D to 2D system, and then the same for y. 
please explain that one to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you have a three-dimensional coordinate, basically you say, okay, well, you're offsetting uh, the x-axis by a certain angle. So you'd say, okay, I'll take my x value and I'll add the cosine value of the uh, angle from the axis times the z value, add that to the x. So, you know, and then you do the same thing with the y, except you sign. And that way you could take a 3D coordinate system and then you would get an x, y value. So you could take a 3D coordinate system, convert it to a 2D to do your printing or, or to do your uh, plotting or whatever it is you're going to do. And you could easily generate a three-dimensional uh, graph. Okay. And then you could like, could you zoom them in or out or rotate them or that type of thing? Or? Yeah. If I remember right, I think someplace you were able to set the angle of the Z axis axis. So you could say, okay, well, I want the Z to be very far off into the horizon, or I want the Z to be almost completely up. But if you want to do it from another perspective, you would just go ahead and say, okay, well, I'm going to now swap the X axis with the Y axis. And now I'll see it from another, another side. So if you wanted to take, uh, profile uh, elevations, you know, you could just flip the axis in order to get your, your different uh, perspectives. Okay. Because that, that's when this, this, this whole extension to basic actually quite intrigues me because you had quite a few nice, nice commands for doing games and specifically like some of the scrolling stuff and the, having extra graphic pages that you could pre-render and then just sip over really fast. Coming up with 32K and the noise routines and, you know, there's yeah, a lot if I of remember stuff. Right, I, I actually tried to do a game with those shifts where I had like a big grid and there were openings in lines and you would have your little guy in the, and it would shift every now and then. And, and you would have to go through there like a maze and the maze was always changing. And, and I, I looked at it, and I said, this is way too complicated. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I had enough of that, but that that's what I was doing with it. Yeah. Cause you yeah. added a lot of features that really help with game development. I mean, the 3d to 2d stuff, uh, a lot of the graphic shift stuff, uh, inversing the screen really fast, et cetera. So there's a lot of stuff. Then you got some nice things just for, you know, debugging. Like that was a really good one. I'd never seen anybody do that specifically where it dumps a variable table when you hit an error. Like that's a really smart idea. I never even thought of that because I do the same thing you were mentioning, print a string, print a comma B or whatever to figure it out. Yeah. The closest I've used is basic nine. If you turn their Tron on, you can single step through the program. And if it does any assignments and variables, it'll print them out as they're doing it. So you yeah, kind of do it there, but not in regular basic. That's Yeah. I, I basically was looking at, okay, I've got um, debug in assembly, you know, I'll sit there and when I, when I interrupt or when I dump out of a program, it'll give me all the register values. And I was like, well, why don't we have something like that for basic? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's what I, that's what I was trying to do. So this is something I, I hope we can get this running again. Like I said, I could get it to run. It initializes. It does a little splash screen. And then most of the commands did not work properly when I tried it. Like I said, that could be because you might have hard coded for specific ROM versions and maybe routine moved around you're trying to hook into or something. So that's something yeah, I like to visit. I, I think it was written when the uh, <clears throat> second edition of the uh, extended basic ROM came out. Yeah, one And uh, I'm, I'm not sure what what kind of effects it would be if somebody was changed uh code positions and when you're basically mapping from where one ROM location is to another. Yeah. And actually that brings up a more general question. Um, some of these ones that are a bit more rare, like a lot of your games I've seen because all the T&D and Chromoset stuff and JARBs are already up on the Color Computer Archive, but a lot of this, this type of thing I don't think is. And uh, would you be willing to release those for the public to try to try them out and you know, maybe see if they can develop some games using these utilities? Oh, release the utilities and everything? Yeah. 
Sure. It's I, up I, to you. I, I mean, nothing to, yeah. Yeah. Anything you got that you want to throw out there, that's, that's fine with me. Um, just if anybody takes it apart, like, you know, if you're sitting there doing your uh, disassembly of it, you know, you don't need to post on there saying, what the heck did this guy do this for? This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I figured you were going to say would, something about that. You can just send all of their critiquing of it, send it to your old address that's on Ableton. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's like, why, why is he, why is he adding D and then and indexing X? He could have just done this one command, you know. Yeah. Let's let's be frank. I look at my twenty-year-old code and I'm thinking, what is this whole thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> See, I do that with my code from last week already, so that's that's where I'm at. Uh, another one you wrote is called Music, and it's a program. And this is one you talked about earlier that Steve Orr kind of gave you the the glimmer of how to how to do it conceptually. And it creates two voice music with position independent code, so you can load it anywhere in memory, and it just moves around so that you can add it to a 32k game, a 64k game, a 16k game. It doesn't matter. Um, and you included a little sample. I won't bother playing it now because this interview is going to go pretty long as it is. But uh, if we release these, we'll let the people do it. It's a little prelude song. Um, is this the actual one you used to do the multi-voice uh, songs that you did have some games like Gunfighter or is this something you did after the fact to make it easier on yourself to do in the future? I, I did some of them using um, another program. I think it was called Composer, but uh, the stuff that I did in Gunfighter, I actually recreated the stuff that I had done in their software in mine so that I could put the code into my assembly language. So I just took my data or, or took the output, converted it into FCB and FDB lines in my code. So uh, you got both. Okay. But I, I actually like the way mine came out better. <laughs> <laughs> and the next utility you have here is called Crypto. And this is an interesting one that it actually encrypts uh, or decrypts a file using a password. Which of course, you know, that gets done a lot in more modern times. But doing this back in the mid mid eighties, I think, was probably pretty rare. Except look, maybe if you're running on Unix or something like that. So, what prompted you to write that one? Was that a request from somebody? Is that something you just wanted to see how it worked? Or no, it's just me and my psychotic mind looking at the hacking world and how to, you know, how could you protect files? You know, nobody had uh, secure internet uh, connections back then. So it's like, well, if I'm gonna save information and I don't want somebody else to read it or if I want to post this to a BBS and I want my friend to be able to download it but not have the sysop give away my code or my finances what would I do and so that's when I did the crypto where you just type in a, a crypto string and it'll it'll use that to uh, encrypt all the data in the file but it leaves everything the same for file structure so you know you can still open it but now it's garbage but if you run it again and you type in the same exact crypto string it'll put it exactly the way it was before so uh it's kind of like a cipher key you know you you run it and then if you wanted to send it on a bbs or uh send a disc in the mail or something like that at the other end they have to know okay uh farm boy is the secret code password to get to this file and then at the other end they would have a, a decrypted version of the of what you sent without having to worry about somebody else being able to pry into it. Cool. I, I do think that was a bit ahead of its time. Did you base it on a, a, an algorithm that you'd seen done on another platform or is it something you came up on your own? No, just something I did on my own. Okay. Next one, we'll just briefly, uh, the next two actually, we'll just briefly skim over because they're pretty self-explanatory. Disk sort. So obviously that sorts the directory yep. physically on the disk. So when you do it, it's all alphabetical. 
uh, and Dirt Dump, which is a dumpster directory listens to a printer. And I think you even do the machine language addresses so that you have a nice reference. You know, this one, this machine language program loads at this start address, ends here, executes at this one type thing. Right. And I, I've had a few of those that I've written myself back in the day too, because it was always trying to remember where the hell things were saved. So, so that's some of the utilities and stuff you did. Uh, you also did the, uh, the Bible project, and this is kind of transitioning stuff that's not completed. Now that one, you actually have chunks of it complete. I think it's, I think you said about 75 to 80% completed. So the, the program was basically working at just getting all the text data in there. So you want to explain yeah. what that project was and what the, what the goal of that was. Yeah, um, well, I, I, I think I did about six or seven books of the New Testament in there, and uh, I, I found them, so I have the actual text, but um, the intent was to try to do the entire Bible for the Coco. so if somebody wanted to say, I want to look up a verse, or I want to find the text and input, put it into a word processing document, or I want to be able to uh, read the Bible, it would, it was basically uh, like back in the, uh, gosh, I was doing this before those came out, but they had those little uh, tablet Bibles where you would just scroll through on a, like a PDA kind of thing. And I was trying to do that on the color computer because uh, nothing like that existed. So I was like, well, I can't get any copies of it. You know, it's like I can find copies of dictionaries, but I can't find any copies of the Bible. So I thought, well, let me go ahead and, and create one. So um, there was a lot of typing involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that was the one thing I was thinking of, because uh, that would be a pretty large database. That would have been like how many disks to fit everything on there. So I figured like you'd, you'd ask me a question about Nitrous 9 probably a month or two ago, and that, that would be a good candidate to, if you did want to finish it at some point, would do it there, because you can actually get a 128 meg hard drive image. And you could easily fit the whole thing on there, and it would run a lot yeah. faster too, because as a hard drive versus a floppy drive. I'm wondering with with how many uh, databases are out there now, and and what people have released for free, because I know some of them, it's like no, you can't get the new international version because somebody owns that, and they don't allow it unless you license it. But some somebody may have a uh, free version that we're able to to use, and I could just convert directly. But that that would be a nice project. Yeah. yeah. Have you found all the code and the data that you did have done? Like, uh, I, you I, found the, I found the Bible project, so I've got all of it. I know that, you know, you can tell what these short books are because those are the ones I did first. So <laughs> so it's like First John, okay, that one's there. Uh, Jude, that one's there, you know. <laughs> okay, and then uh, the rest of them here are basically projects that were never quite finished. And I think I'm going to flip the order a little bit here. So this is probably not in the order they were done, but I'll, I'll do the one here because I think Ken actually has a, a bit of B-roll of this one. And that's your first and only Coco 3 game that you'd started um, called Defense Force, which is a clone of Defender. And it's it's not complete like the, the radar is missing, for example. Um, it reminds me a lot of Planet Invasion. Like you've got a very small ship and it fires like, you know, dashed lines instead of that big bursting mm -hmm. thing. So it reminds me a lot of uh, Planet Invasion from Spectral. Um, but this is using Coco 3 mode, so you're learning how the MMU worked and pallet registers and all this kind of stuff. And I've, I've actually gone to a couple of the waves where you can actually see some of the other aliens in there. So it looks like the aliens are fairly complete. The planet does blow up if you kill all the humans. Uh, you can rescue them and drop them down. I think the only thing really missing is, is the radar. So what, what time frame were you doing this in? Uh, let's see. I remember I was in the Air Force. I did a lot of work on this 
when I was on alert in Florida. Um, oh gosh, I'd say this is like 87, 88, something like that. It's, it's so vague for me to be able to say exactly when that was, but uh, yeah, this was, this was, this was one of the times where I was like, okay, am I going to stick with this or not? And um, this game actually was one that I was enjoying because I was learning how the, uh, the, uh, the gimme chip lets you do things like the scrolling and everything. Oh, cool. The braider and the pods. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I used the scrolling uh, from the hardware of the gimme, which is something I wasn't able to do before. And I didn't like the fact that I had to scroll by two bytes at a time. So that, that kind of frustrated me. And I, I got to learn how to, you know, like I just wanted the bottom to scroll, but I didn't want the top to scroll. So I had to learn how to, how to uh, do my screen changes where I would keep the uh, score at the top, but then I'd let it scroll at the bottom. So the, the, the way this is actually set up memory is the score keeps moving through space. Everything else is set in memory in the same exact location all the time. You just see it in a different location. So uh, this was this was a lot of learning for me, and, and it was I, I really enjoyed putting it together. But uh, yeah, I think this was I think this was like uh, 87, 88. Okay, because I know like and Nick Marandi's when he did. I should have finished it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close. Did you, did you have you found the source for this one, or is that one of the ones that's missing? Uh, I I think I have it. I might I might be able to pull that one back together. I, I found little bits and pieces. And you find the uh, the things where you see, okay, well, this one says defense force, and it's got dates and and addresses on it, stuff like that. And then you find another copy with dates and addresses, and you're like, wait a minute, this one shouldn't be the latest copy, but I can't get the data off of this one disk. So I think I I think I have enough that I could pull it back together. Cool. That would be interesting to to, to see finished. I think. Um, we do have an official transcode, as you're probably aware of, of Defender now, uh, right from the arcade. Oh, yeah. So, but it, just the fact that you were doing this like way, way back, and uh, there was another one being done by Bleak Triad, Defend Droid, it was going to be called Bleak Over 3, which was more advanced, but that wasn't until like 90 that they were even planning on releasing that one. And then it got dropped anyway. Um, Bleak Triad stopped in the cocoa market. It would be interesting to see like a, a one done in the early days and seeing it completed. Um, it seems to play well. There's a few bugs. I've, I've crashed it a few times, but I mean, it was, wasn't finished. So that's, that's expected. Yeah. That, that's like that, all my uh, code. You know, we were talking about uh, commenting and, and documenting. It's like, I tended to write code that I would give uh, routines names and never put anything on there. And then when I'd write another program, I would steal those routines from one of my previous programs. I'd modify them, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't document my modifications. So I would have to remember the entire code as how everything behaves and if i change projects i'd go back and say like oh what, what is this so i know there's probably a lot of loops that are like well you didn't do a software interrupt so it crashed you know <laughs> that kind of thing i will mention on the smooth scrolling too because that's something that everybody that has used the hardware scrolling actually said uh, nick's way of getting around it on popstar was he had two versions of the screen one shifted like the single byte over mm -hmm. basically where it's drawing and so he just alternates between the two so one's even byte offsets and one's odd byte offsets he just flips between the two so you get the smooth yeah i remember uh him talking about that during his his interview about popstar pilot and i went to his websites and one day i'm just going to go ahead and 
you know, let him take me to school because he documents so much stuff on his websites. If you just go ahead and say, okay, this is going to be my Nick Morente's uh, classroom and I'm going to read this entire thing and I'm going to code everything he's talking about. I mean, it, it, it's like, I'm not going to just write a game. I'm going to teach everybody else how to write the game. What do you think, Nick? Are you still awake? Yeah, yeah. Can you still hear me? Oh, is he yep. still? Oh, I didn't know he was even on. Can you hear me, uh, Curtis? Yes, we can. Oh, yeah, I've got this stupid headphone that Mike keeps cutting out. Uh, what do I think? Yeah, 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 that's one of the problems with horizontal scroll. It uh, moves two bytes at a time, which is fine if you have a fast-moving terrain, but if you want something a bit slower, uh, yeah, you need to go to one byte, one byte, and that's what I had to do with Popstar Pilot. But what, what do you think of uh, of Terry's idea of uh, maybe doing like sort of a tutorial thing, but based on some of your 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 work as well as his? Oh, tutorial! <laughs> Who's got time for that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just saying the documentation that Nick has online is it, it, it's like he's teaching everybody how he wrote the games. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think to be fair, Nick Nick's not covering so much coding practices; he's doing yeah, game design. Yeah, my I think he emphasizes more the design but that's, that's stuff, yeah. totally valid too. I mean, obviously, uh, as, as for somebody who's tried to write a game recently too, and it's kind of got it on pause for the moment, it's not easy, <laughs> at least for me. Yeah, no, it just takes takes up a lot of time. I figure, am I going to write a game or am I going to do a, a big tutorial? <laughs> it's one or the other. <laughs> like a quick blog post or something, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I found the documentation yeah. that you provided is enough to teach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, I try to pass on the the concepts and um, the design, yeah, and, and then leave it up to the individual to do the uh, the actual nutting out the programming. Yeah. Okay, so now we'll go back in time to some of your other unreleased projects. I think you've got these roughly in chronological order i'm not sure because you kind of mentioned like you dropped this one for this one it's like thing. so hopefully i got these right so you had one called burger run i'm assuming this was meant to be a clone of burger time yeah how far did you get into that one and what was your reason for dropping it i was wondering like lunchtime came out from uh, novasoft slash tom mix around 8485 which i was wondering did you see that and it was kind of like what happened with puyan it's just like well it's already been done i'll do something different yeah no some of them uh i stopped just because i lost interest and some of them, I just decided it was, it was going to get too complicated. And the, I had not really set out a good plan for how to make everything work on that one. And you could walk across like the hamburger patty or the lettuce and it would move down. And uh, the, the thing that I didn't account for was, uh oh, I'm frozen again, I think. Are <laughs> you not here? Okay. Um, so the, uh, the, patties and stuff like that the buns they would they would move down and then say okay well i'm going to back up and i'm going to go back across and it was detecting if something was there to indicate for it to move but i didn't have everything uh set up to say okay what if he comes back from the other side and he starts walking from that direction and i couldn't really get coordination so it, it worked great as long as you walked across everything in the same direction <laughs> and then they would fall on top of each other that way. And I was like, okay, well, how do I fix this bug where you can't go around from the backside and go over it because I didn't set up a database of where everything's at. 
So that that was that was the one thing that made me say, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, cancel this one altogether because I I didn't want to have to recode everything and and I think that that's what I would have had to have done because I didn't set up a good database at the beginning. I tried to build one later on, which you know sometimes you can save a project that way, but I just didn't think it was worth the trouble. Okay. Uh, Mark, if you want to show my screen share here, this is a uh, Bjork blocks for those who have not seen it, the graphics editor that Terry was using. Now, Terry, you'd mentioned that, uh, during our emails that you actually have some of the graphic shapes you found for some of the games, both the ones you did complete, and then also some of the ones that you had. And so we can kind of get a, a peek at to where your mind was at and you know, maybe a little bit of what you got done yeah. at that point. Um, did you have anything on Burger Run on there? I can't remember now. No, no. Burger Run was done with uh, just uh, drawing a screen by uh, defining line segments and then putting graphics on top of where the uh, where the grid was. Okay. And then the next project you listed here was Popeye. And this one, you did actually get the first level basically drawn using Bjorkflux. I'll bring that up in a second here. Um, now, is this the same situation where Sailor Man suddenly came on? You kind of went, ah, I guess that one's done too. Or did it one you lost interest in? Doing? No, actually, this, this one was uh, something that I was working on. And I got distracted because I wanted to make uh, Mappy. And I decided that Popeye just uh, was something I could put on hold, and then I never went back to it. But uh, I had gotten the screen done, and I'd gotten to where uh, I would put hearts around on the screen, and I could walk my character by, and the heart would go back up on the on the house, which is what you have to do to complete the screen. But I didn't have anything where, you know, Olive would come out there and throw the hearts, and I didn't make Bluto yet or anything like that. So I just went ahead and. Uh, put this on hold and just never went back to it. And it was kind of cool. I think I was doing, uh, I think I was doing pretty good. I just, um, it just went on the eternal shelf of uh, later. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of those myself. Um, the one thing I liked about this one here, is like if you look at Chris Latham's Sailor Man, it's, it's obviously one of the better Coco one and two games. Um, but you're actually using some of the artifacting colors here a bit more advanced than he did. Like he basically did the basic, you know, white, black, red, blue type thing you actually did the the special bits where you're doing every third pixel or something to try to get like yellowish background so you actually have a lot of color in this one yeah 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 and even like your little trees and stuff you, you kind of space it out so it gets a bit more of a green rather than a bluish tint mm -hmm. so actually it looks quite good so thank you now, what time span are we talking here? Like, is this in between some of the other game projects that did get released, or is this? Oh, this, this was. Uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember sequentially which one came next. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is at, this is definitely after the the Jarb software stuff. Um, and I think I played around with balloon fire and everything, just getting some sound effects and all that. So this was shortly after uh, balloon fire. Uh, and uh, well, Able Builders was earlier than that. So this was sometime around then. Okay. There we are. Yeah, all the way up the corner. There you go. Okay. But yeah, this was another thing where Bjork, 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 uh, using this tool was really helpful. You know, it's like, uh, 
I, I, I didn't have anything like this for editing uh, screens. So when, when I got a copy of uh, the Jork Blocks, I was like, oh man, this saved me so much time. So some of these we, we kind of talked about a little bit later, so I don't have all my notes totally complete here. So we've got Cave, Weird, Marble, and Bitsib. You want to come? Um, yeah, Bitsy is actually uh, Kick Guy. That's the background screen for Kick Guy. Um, okay. Cave was me wanting to do something kind of like uh, um, Pitfall, except I wanted to have like a realistic cave. So I, I started making a cave uh, background, seeing how that would work out. And Marble was to see if I could do something for Marble Madness. And after drawing the, uh, the, the screen, I just said, no way in hell am I going to try this. <laughs> so there's your background for, for Kit Guy using the beer floor. Yep, that's it. And I tried to make a stage, but those slats, oh, they were so bad for <laughs> foreground characters. Now, we don't have to go through all of these because uh, I, I don't know how far you got on some of these games here. Uh, but is there any of the other ones here you, you think would be worthwhile showing? Let's see. What do we got? Um, yeah, What do we got for blocks? Not really too much. I think Cave might be interesting so somebody can see, you know, what if they're, if they're thinking about using uh, this kind of uh, program to make backgrounds, what kind of stuff you can do with, with this to make... Uh, to make some good background drawings. At least I like the way it came out. Oh yeah, that almost looks like a Pitfall 2 style. Yeah, you could put stalactites and bats and uh, you know water dripping and everything like that off of off of that kind of contour. And if you if you adjust your shading, you can make it you know really dark up in the corner so it'll it'll obviously go into a cave or something like that above so if anybody's doing like adventure gaming and stuff you know um bjork blocks has been out forever now but it's still it's still a good editing tool if you're using the actual hardware yeah and it makes nice small files too because you, you edit each graphical block and then it's just a map of each block so you're only doing one byte for like an eight what is it, eight bytes oh yeah the data compression was great yeah, it's, it's a fun program. I did play with it back in the day, uh, originally by Morton Bay Software. I think we actually, we've had Steve on the show and he mentioned that he really hated the name. He didn't want his name as part of the title of the of the, the program itself and they insisted because he's famous. <laughs> so he got overrode on that one. Now, one thing I have not fiddled with, I don't know if any of your games or any of your games you were starting on used it, but it was the animation feature. I can't even remember what exactly that did. Um, well, the, the one that's titled Weird, that was going to be an animated one. Um, but I, I, I pulled the plug on pursuing that because I, I didn't want to get into having to worry about conveyor belts and stuff like that. And it was just going to be a screen full of, uh, I guess I guess it'd be like rollers where the different, uh, the different parts of the conveyor belt, like tractors, would be just bits. And they they're, they would move back and forth. So like I could have, yeah, now that the screen's up there, I could have like the top row moving one way. And then down at the bottom, I could have them moving another way just by animating uh, the, uh, the different blocks. So if I had a, uh, uh, a block where the dots were in the middle and then a block where the dots were at the other end, it would look like they're going left 
and if I did it the other way, it looked like they're going right. So your character could move around. I think I think they did something similar, like uh, that for Cashman, and that's that's the kind of effect I was going to try to get on this one. Okay. But yeah, never actually did an animation using the using the program. Okay. So it looks like you had a fair number of projects anyway. Um, you mentioned Happy, which is a clone of Mappy. That's one I wouldn't mind seeing finished at some point because that's one game we never did get a clone of on the Coco. Yeah. Was Mappy. That's, you know, there's always the one that bugs you the most. That's the one that bugs that's me one. the most because, yeah, I, I had it. The guy could, you know, you'd walk around, you could bounce, and the trampoline would change color and it would break. And um, and actually, the, the only reason why that one never got finished is, uh, about the time that I was getting to, ready to start adding characters to it, that's when I went off into the Air Force. And uh, they have a tendency to make you do things that they want you to do instead of letting you play on your computer. So <laughs> I had to, I had to march and stuff instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't there? You wrote some software for somebody at, in the Air Force, didn't you? At some point? Yeah, I did, I did some stuff. Um, you know, like the uh, directory sorting and things like that. I had a, a guy who worked in the admin department, and I made a thing that would organized files for him and stuff just doing basic stuff um he was he was using the ibm pc compatible stuff in the office but i was like well i i did this on my computer and i i go ahead and show him what i did and some of the stuff he's like well i'm just going to maintain a list of names on on the color computer because i can do all that sorting that you just showed me how to do but i don't know how to do that on the ibm pc so <laughs> So replaced his PC with a cocoa, basically. Yeah, you know, it's it's, like we it, did it work for the PDP. because there, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot back then for the PC. It came out, and if you didn't have an application that did what you wanted, you, you couldn't do it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, the last one I'll mention here. This is kind of a utility, but it's also meant for gaming, and that's kind of an interesting one uh, called Reset Run. And this was a utility you're working on to make it so when you press the reset button in a basic program. It would just restart the basic program. So you could use it for like, you know, hit reset until the screen's blue or type thing, or as a form of copy protection, so you couldn't break into the program type thing. So I thought that was kind of cool. Was that something you actually finished or used in any of your own stuff? I had I had a, a version of it that was working, but it didn't have any way to lock lock you out. And I have a I have a listing with a whole bunch of addresses that I've written all over it because with the different versions of the ROMs. They made different reset vectors and everything. And I needed to make sure that I intercepted where it would have gone to. So uh, I never came out with something that I felt that I could actually release and say, here, use this. But I did have it to where you could load the program. And then once you ran it, the first thing it would do was to enable the reset. So you'd run your basic program. And then if they push reset, it would start over again. But, um, you know, like I said, if, if it's like, oh, well, they're using uh, basic 1.1, it might crash out on them, you know? So uh, I had problems there because you couldn't, uh, you couldn't just grab the uh, reset vector and, uh, well, I guess you could. Well, anyways. <laughs> In hindsight. Yeah, I, I'm thinking you probably could, but I'm like, I don't know why, I don't know why I was having so much trouble and why I had to go look through all the vectors, but I did a lot of work using Spectral, Spectral's uh, uh, Unraveled series. Yeah. 
and the Bible. Uh, oh yeah. And so that, like I said, I'm sitting there with my listing and I'm like, okay, here's an address. Here's an address. Here's an address. Here's another address. And I was going through their stuff uh, like crazy, trying to find different ways to, to get the vectors to go where I needed them to go when somebody pushed reset. And it just never, it just never got to the point where I said, this is going to be easy to produce, but it, it did work. I mean, I, I could get it to run when you ran a basic program, they could push reset and start over again. So you didn't have uh, somebody say, okay, I'm going to run my program. And then somebody come by and say, well, I'm just going to push break. And it's like, well, they've got the break disabled. Okay. Well, I'll just push reset. Now I can see save their program and uh, I got a copy of it. Yeah. So before I get into the last part, <clears throat> which is basically what, what, what's been happening to you since you were in the Cocoa stuff in the eighties, uh, one last call for any other questions on any of the utilities or games that you finished or didn't quite complete from the panel or from anybody in the chat. And then we'll kind of get into stuff that you've been doing more recently, whether it's Cocoa related or not, and uh, some general questions. Anybody on the panel, first of all, any questions for Terry on his previous projects finished or not? Um, well, my question would be is if someone found any of these utilities possibly handy now, do you have them available for people to acquire them? I have a lot of listings and I have a few scattered files. So if, uh, if there's one that you're interested, in, I'll see what I can come up with. Also, David, I, I don't know if you were on earlier, but he was having trouble with IO errors in some of his disks. Do you still have access to that flux reading thing to try to- Yeah, it's the grease weasel. Yeah. Do you think that would actually help recover some of these lost files? Well, it's a possibility. It depends on what's up with the disk. You know, if it hasn't had the magnetic media scratched off, which in that case, you know, well, if there's no magnetic material, you don't have data to, to read. Yeah. to read so <laughs> but i know it can pick up like weaker signals that a regular disk drive can't well it's using the the floppy drive itself so if it's that weak <laughs> um but usually if it's just you know you can keep reading and then try to rebuild it um I think Paul Fiscarelli was working on a utility to possibly examine images read by the grease weasel, but I'm not sure. Um, it's just, you know, different people are trying to work on utilities for in conjunction with the grease weasel, but I don't know if anybody's made any headway yet. Okay. Cause it, it sounded like when you talked about it before, it might be a way to recover some discs that you couldn't recover just using your know, disguise string or, well, it's a possibility, especially if you have a um, there, some of the old, really old floppy drives, you actually have an adjustment on the, the logic board for the head gain. So you can actually turn the gain up a little bit to try to boost the reading and writing from to the magnetic media. So that could help. But, you know, that's, you know, so, so much of the stuff in floppy drives later got built into the pre-configured um, head op amps or amplifiers that's on them. So you can't really control anything. And especially the really new ones, all the stuff are in the, the this big IC on the boards. So you really can't do anything to those. So you need to use a grease weasel with an older floppy drive is what you're saying to get the more forward. than likely. It just depends if you have one that, has the adjustment for the head 
gains. Was that something you or Paul would have? Me? No, actually, uh, several years ago, because I needed to make some room, I had some of the old full height floppy drives, I, which were single sided. I didn't have room. I actually got rid of them. So, okay. I, I just, you know. Well, David, if you can contact Paul and see if he's got any further in some of his utilities for that, I'd like to see if we can help Terry try to recover at least some of that stuff if possible. Not, no guarantee, obviously, but uh, if we can get some of that recovered and save him, I'm having to scan and try to OCR a bunch of line printer listings, which usually doesn't work too well, from my experience. True. Yeah, or at least start a restoring memories kind of uh, business where you bring him his disk and he can, he can say, well, I got you 80%. This is what I could recover. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, um especially with mame um because one of the things that i had been doing is taking the grease weasel reading the floppy disk disk images off of physical disks converting it to mfm for mame working with it in mame and then converting it back to the format that the grease weasel uses and then i could put it back on real media so you know there's options all over the place i think you had them in a grease weasel <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot jason <laughs> oh you're welcome david Ooh. that's why david's my hero uh, <laughs> david and mark something i'll anything. say that. They, can, they can go take over spacex from elon <laughs> unlikely i'm too flaky too you flaky. got me have there you, david have you seen elon <laughs> he actually. <laughs> so I don't see any further questions from the chat. Any last uh, chance or any questions from the panel from stuff before we get into what 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 has he what has Terry been up to the last twenty years? Type of thing. Going once, going twice. Okay. So basically, um, you've been actually getting a bit active in the co community again. You discovered the video that Stevie made a balloon fire, and you kind of got in contact with us. You've been on the show a few times before. You've actually been to some of the uh, Coco Fest now too. Um, are, are you starting to get the itch to get back into programming, I guess? And if you are, uh, and it sounds like you are because you've been asking about assemblers and stuff, uh, what are your plans? Are you gonna try to resurrect some of your old projects that, if you do have the source for them? Or are you gonna start fresh from new or do some uh, Nitrous I'm, 9 I'm, stuff because you never really fiddled with OS9 or what, what, what are all your plans? Yeah, I, I think I need to hire a life coach. Um, <laughs> I have probably about two binders that I've put together of projects that I've started and stopped since I started getting back into the cocoa. So um, part of me wants to get into hardware. Part of me wants to get into software. Part of me wants to take uh, stuff I was doing and, and revitalize them. And uh, the insane part of me is wanting to do FPGAs to make new components for the cocoa. And uh, I got under Raspberry Pi kick for a while. I've got like five or six raspberry pies <laughs> that, you know, I took, I took to the, the last uh, Cocoa Fest. I, I had a whole bunch of monitors and TV sitting there running off of real Cocos and raspberry pies and everything. But uh, you know, it's, it's like, I'm so damn ADD, you know, if somebody shakes their keys near me, I run off into the other room. So I, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do. Um, uh, Brendan uh, Dunahy actually, uh, he, he went to the same school as I did for engineering. As after I did the Air Force, I, I got a, a, a technical electronics degree and I started working for a company making uh, uh, these uh, circuit boards for them. Uh, 
And then I was like, well, I, I, I want to do more net. So I uh, went to uh, New Mexico State University at the Klipsch. If anybody likes Klipsch speakers, then the school is named after him because he, he, was the, uh, he was the dean before he went off and became a super multimillionaire. Um, but uh, uh, Brendan and I were both in the same school. He was there a uh, couple of years before me, I think. But he went off and did some of my dream stuff. I had to go uh, do building design and stuff like that because I didn't want to risk it because I, I, I wound up becoming a single father and I had to look for the most secure jobs instead of doing the exciting cutting edge things that you could all of a sudden realize that you and all of the other people in your division are unemployed the next week. So, um, but uh, the world of FPGAs is, is where I'd love to go. But uh, it's been so long since I've messed with that stuff. Uh, but I, I have a huge pile of uh, FPGA stuff that I've been working on. I mean, it's just every, every time I turn around, I start a project and then I wind up with 10,000 little projects that have not been completed. That's irritating the heck out of me. <laughs> but uh, I've decided to start focusing on something small. Like right now, I'm really excited because I got um, I got a floppy to floppy uh, drive, and then I got a floppy to GoTech drive, and I got a GoTech to GoTech drive. I want to build a GoTech tower that has four GoTech because I'd like to work off of that. But I had started working on that, and it wasn't until I saw Terry Stiggy's video that he went through how to configure it, and I'm like, oh, let me. And I configured it. I was like. Now I know what, what was wrong and why it wasn't working. So now I'm going crazy on it because all of a sudden I've got the ability to make floppy drives, not just the STC, but it'll look like floppies and I can just dial whichever disk I want to access. So that's starting to open me up to programming on the Cocoa again, because now I can say, oh, I'm going to do hard assembly on the Cocoa using simulated floppy drives. And I don't have to worry about transferring back and forth from my PC to my to my cocoa, so that that's kind of the areas that I've that I've been looking at going, and um, yeah, so I'm I'm really confused, running around like a chicken with a head cut off sometimes, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure where I'm going to wind up going. So at, at this point in your life, would you consider yourself more of a hardware person for your interests versus software, or is it about equal? I I, I love hardware. I'd love to be hardware, and uh, sounds bad, but most of it's because software. Uh, is just so hard to not get yourself in a corner unless you pre-plan everything. And I don't have the life experience of pre-planning all my software. Uh, my life experience has been solve a problem as you as you do it. And like I said, once you once you start getting in habits, you start realizing, okay, these habits are destroying my ability to do things. Where when I was in the hardware side, I'd sit down and I'd do digital design and I could build modules and then build uh, larger modules based on smaller modules. And by the time I'm done, it's like, okay, there's my CPU. I just designed an entire microprocessor. And it was based on the simple going to the larger, not based on, okay, here's my framework. Here's how I'm going to store my data. Here's how I'm going to structure my routines. And here's how I'm going to set up all my syscalls. It's like, okay, um, I like hardware. <laughs> See, I've got the complete opposite experience because I just saw it in my hair whenever I tried to touch hardware. So it's actually life threatening for me to be in hardware. <laughs> got a comment in the chat too. Uh, Carl Lafferty says, "Okay, I started over from the hillbilly hot dog mention. It's very interesting." Oh, you gotta go. 
<laughs> yeah, supposedly there's two of them, but uh, like I said, we 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 spent about an hour and a half just walking around. I mean, you go into this, there's a bathroom, you walk inside there and the entire bathroom is uh, eight track tapes, you know, um, all the different bands over all the different years when eight track tapes were out and they glued them to all the, all the points on the ceiling. And then on the wall, there's cassette tapes, you know, and, and on the other side, there's album covers. And it's like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's like mystery science theater in, in like a Hickville place, you know? That's cool. I've never even heard of that until you mentioned it today. Um, so at this point, are you are you close to retirement age where you have a lot of time for your projects? Or are I'm I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm currently trying to uh, set up that taper in life where you say, okay, I'm getting rid of the businessy, uh, you know, office world. And I'm starting to increase my personal hobbies and um, I'm starting to plan on in the next, uh, uh, I'd say seven years, um, being able to go ahead and do what I want to do full time. And at that point, I'd, I'd like to do mostly, uh, mostly computer stuff and, uh, you know, just, just enjoy playing. Uh, right now, I got a, re- a lot of ridiculous things. I'm into home repair, which is killing me. Um, for some reason, I decided to become a beekeeper and I have 20 something beehives and it's like, okay, this is a lot more than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but you get you know, free honey, so, right? But uh, yeah, I'd like, I'd like, to, I'd like to be able to simplify. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty wide variety of interest there going from like home repair to hardware design to software to beekeeping. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I guess I'd look at myself like Thomas Jefferson. I'm, I, I want to do everything and I want to do it all myself. And, you know, and somebody says, oh, well, I can I can have somebody do that for you. It's like, well, how much is it going to cost? And they'd say, it's like, you know what? I can I can save that $150 and do it myself. And then next thing you know, I'm out there in the, in the backyard with like a log splitter or something like that going, what the <laughs> hell's the matter with me? <laughs> I already spent 1500 bucks to save that $100, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need all the equipment to make whatever thing, yeah. But the but the justifying part is when you get all done, you go, but look at all the tools that I have now. I got a lot. It didn't cost me anything because they saved me from being able to hire that guy or not having to hire that guy. And that's where the home maintenance stuff comes in because now you can build your own sheds to store all this stuff you bought. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Anyway, I, that's all the questions I had for you. Anybody else in the panel or in the chat? Uh, last chance before we... Uh finish the interview here so then we'll get into the game on challenge probably after another commercial break i'm guessing mark um but any any final questions for terry and a big thank you of course to uh, terry for coming on talking about all of his old software and hardware stuff uh, back from back in the day what he's doing now and also thanks to everybody that was involved with nightmare highway which is all inspired by terry coming out at the beginning of the show uh so any further questions for anybody else since i've kind of hogged him for the whole day How about uh, how many sofas do you own? <laughs> yeah, did you get rid of them all after that traumatic experience? <laughs> Nothing but rocking chairs now. Yeah, we, we actually have two sofas in our house. But uh, if I would have known that, you know, it was going to be uh, like this, I would have 
seeing what I could do to bring that sofa back home so it could be a, a personal memento. <laughs> Trophy. <laughs> a shrine. <clears throat> the sofa that Carr tried to catch. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I, I like that I'm known as the killer of couches. <laughs> <laughs> and who would have thought like a, a random road accident like that would have spawned all this other stuff that came afterwards and you, yeah. if you would have never seen stevie's video of balloon fire none of this would have ever happened yeah all the, all the things that could have happened different in my life but stevie he had a plan <laughs> no, oh, stevie it, it he never has you, a plan you know your 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 mental state when you when you hit a couch on the road and you're sitting there oh god the car's the car's radiators leaking and I, I I'm not going to be able to get anywhere. I'm, I'm thousands of miles away from home is like your first thing is how the hell am I going to make it to Cocoa Fest now? You know, it's like, <laughs> your, well, at least you had your, your priorities, priorities straight, man. <laughs> All right. Ready for a commercial? Yeah. I don't have any further questions. If nobody else does, then uh, thank you very, once again, Terry, for coming on and then talking about showing off all your stuff. Thanks for coming on the, you know, talking with us during the game on challenge a little bit. I know you're having problems trying to connect, but uh, it was nice that you're actually oh, there it, participating. In it, it was uh, not nearly as painful as I expected it to be. And, and I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Okay. You, you're quite a historian there, Curtis. I try to do some <laughs> research on some interviews at least. <laughs> and at that, that, I think we will go to a commercial break and we'll come back for the game on challenge. Hi Retro Tech Heads, Data Soup here. You're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and proudly Patreon sponsored by RetroTechTime.com. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. So you don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Tired of switching your joystick between the left and right port? Want to change between different controllers? Well, Joey has got you covered. The Joey Controller Switch. Take control of your controllers with the flip of two switches. Order today at cocoman.biz. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. Yeah. 
Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. And now, Coco Thoughts, by Samuel Gimes. Some people wish the Coco came with hardware sprites. I don't understand. Why not pixies or fairies? back again apparently yeah it must be when i uh, have to share the sound um i'll see if i can figure that out anyway we're back all right well um as you saw we had a pretty good turnout for playing mrs pa mrs pack this week um 19 players so uh yeah so that was the one, the, the game that we chose to play, but we also played some others during the live stream of Terry Steen's games. Um, 
Oh, just looking at the comments about the echoing voice. I guess it's the echo just makes me sound better. So that's why we put it in. <laughs> Those scores are insane. <laughs> How many screens do they get through? Your voice is so nice. We have to listen to it twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, I don't know who Buck Owens. Uh, I don't know how far he got on it. Uh, Curtis, who you were in what fourth or fifth place? You got to the third or fourth? The third, third maze. Third maze. Okay, so Buck must have done a little bit better than that, or he just ate more ghosts than you, or both. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the drawback of this game uh, it had a great looking, great mazes and everything, but the control scheme was. A little bit off on it. You had to do a lot of anticipating to get around the corners. And the keyboard routines were not that easy to play with. But uh, yeah, so I will show some footage. Let's see, where did my footage go? Oh, there it is. So, of course, that's us playing in the live stream. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, what did the people that got a lot further than me have to say about uh, tips and tricks for playing the game and whatnot? The one I would say is you have to kind of plan ahead. Like you said, you have to take the corners a little bit earlier than you'd be used to in a normal, you know, pixel perfect Pac-Man type thing. So mm -hmm. once you kind of get used to that, it becomes a, a fair bit easier. Yeah, I have to agree. The uh, ghosts are a lot more random than the arcade too. That that took a bit to get used to because you kind of have to be a bit more cautious than normal. The fact that the ghosts will actually turn around on you is uh, was something to get used to because in the arcade game, if they started going in one direction, they couldn't just all of a sudden turn back on you. So, yeah, I know Sloopy was uh, having a problem with that. <laughs> There's also a, a occasion, like Sloopy did it once, and I think I did it once, where you can actually go through a ghost, even if it's not blue. Oh, yeah, that was something I was going to ask. Was that actually, if, if Terry's still on the call, was that actually programmed? Because I know in the arcade game, sometimes you can go through the ghosts if they're not looking at you. But, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I, it, it's all error-free. 100% uh, uh, rock-solid code. <laughs> <laughs> so you meant to do that exactly right we, we meant that's to a do feature that. not a bug <laughs> <laughs> no and I, I know the controls are a problem and, and part of that is uh my mind thinking in terms of mathematics for analyzing the joystick controls and then also uh swapping between two screens um i tended to get a little bit behind because at that time i didn't realize I don't need to read in all of the bit values of the joystick. I just need like the, the first three high order bits. So here I am reading all the, uh, all the pot values. And, uh, and I, I could have gotten rid of some time and made it a little bit smoother by, by getting rid of those delays that way. So do you still have the source code for this one? Is that something? I believe that I do. Was that, is that something that, because, uh, I mean, I'm really interested to see what the upper mazes look like, the ones that are, are not arcade from the arcade. So oh, I, I've got uh, screenshots of, uh, as a matter of fact, I shared with Curtis all the uh, blocks and maps for the entire thing. So okay. I've got all of those. 
Yeah. I think we want to make Ken earn them though. He has to play. Yeah. It, so. <laughs> well, then well, I'm never going to well, see yeah, them. They, I've got them, but you know, they're available for limited time only for 1995. <laughs> Excellent. Chris, I think, I think what we're all saying is it's not too late for a version two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe a good project if you have the source there to get your feet wet back into it again is just to like, you know, fix up the joystick routine like you're mentioning. And that's pretty well the only. Yeah. I mean, other than the joystick routine, actually, it's a really good game. I really enjoyed it. Other than the frustration of often missing my turn and constantly going around in one circle trying to get down one little alley. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was some of the, uh, like I said, I was looking at mathematics more than I was looking at gameplay. Because I'm sitting there deciding, should you do uh, X, Y, or, or you know, uh, X axis or Y axis movement? And, and I'd say, well, you're already moving X, so you should keep moving that way unless they really show you they want to go up. And so that makes it so you're cruising along and you're like, I wanted to go up. Why did you keep going? And it's like, yeah, controls. Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't know. We're, we we always feature creep a lot on this show, so <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if you said, oh, I'm interested in looking back at the source code, you'll get a million suggestions for things you can do. But people, people didn't people didn't like it exactly like it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sloopy, did you have anything to add to? Looks the... like he's engaged in conversation there. Oh, is he? I can't see right now. My screen is taken up by Ms. Mrs. Pack. Um, yeah. What else is there to say about it other than, uh, yeah, I'd be really interested to see what the future mazes are and, or the other mazes are to earn to see what the other mazes are. <laughs> Jim Rye has a nice comment in the chat. He says, another tip, don't run from the fruit like I did. me. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's too healthy. I must get away. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What else is there? Anybody else have anything to add to uh, about it? I think I managed to clear the maze once. <laughs> I did make it to the second maze a few times. I never did make it to the third one, though. Let's see here. And then during the stream, we did... Uh, Switch over to some of the other games. So here we've got Mrs. Pack, Defense, uh, Snaphus, and Gray Lady all going at the same time. So, actually, Terry, is it pronounced Snafus or Snafu or Snaphus? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's supposed to be Snafus uh, okay. because it's supposed to be plural, but it's a made-up word, so <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. And then, uh, so it's definitely given me some ideas for future game on challenges. There's a couple in here that I'm definitely going to be doing eventually. So that was a good thing. Our champion just piped in uh, Buck Owens in the chat too. And he says the seemingly random monster reversals is what really burned my arse. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, Scott Cooper's comment there. Ken gave blood to the game. Oh, I'm trying to remember. I was that when I was on, or is that? Oh, yes, right. That was now when I your remember. cat or something. So, so can you advance up. that to the right spot? 
while I was playing, my cat jumped up and uh, missed my lap and went sliding down the other side of me, all the claws out. So, <laughs> talk about hearing a Canadian curse. Yeah, that was the most riled up I've ever heard Ken in my life. <laughs> it was the highest rated part of the show. <laughs> Oh, great. So I've, I've got to start getting injured for the show to get good ratings. Oh. <laughs> the thing that we do for our craft and for art. Yeah, you exactly. got to suffer for your art, man. <laughs> now, something a little bit off topic during the live uh, broadcast, we also had Mr. Nick Morentes on. And he was showing off. Uh, showing off? <laughs> she was showing off. Yeah, you can, you can leave the sentence right there. That pretty well described. Yeah. So. <laughs> His new upcoming game, Jumping Joey, which is a Frogger type game, but with a kangaroo. Yeah. Or, or it started off. It started off to be a Frogger, but then I thought uh, I really don't want to do a exact copy of Frogger anyway, and I was looking for some other idea. And uh, Ken came up with the idea of Jumping Joey, and uh, I kind of liked it. I liked the sound of the title, and it. I just clicked that, yeah, I'm Australian. Jo- Joey's or kangaroo, um, young kangaroos, they jump. So I've decided to to take this frogger idea and then change it to a kangaroo and gradually I'll add a bit more Australian elements in it so that hopefully it'll look uh, a bit more like an original game. Now, I haven't gotten very far yet. So I'm still experimenting uh, with the uh, um, getting all all the timings correct and getting uh, some sound in there. One thing I want to do with this game is to have um, uh, music playing in the background, like like the original Frogger had. So um, it's going to have a full tune playing in the background uh, while it's doing the whole game. Now, straight off, you can see that from a Frogger point of view, it doesn't have all the, you know, the the river scene. Not in not on this screen that you're seeing now. But what I've done is because, yeah, you know, and okay, you jump, <laughs> you got ahead of me there. Basically, what <laughs> I've done is I split the game up so that because of the low res of the semi graphics, I decided to make one screen the freeway screen, and then when you get to the top of that, it'll bring in the next screen. And uh, this is just me doing a mock-up of what the uh, graphics for the river screen will be. And uh, also, I decided I'm going to add a third screen as well. So that's where it starts breaking away from the standard Frogger. So it'll have three different areas, not just the two. And this one I'm still working on. But basically, you're running across some parkland. And the wide areas are a fence. So you've got to sort of go amongst the fence There'll be people with mowers, lawn mowers, uh, going uh, left and right. So you've got to dodge them. So yeah, it's still very much a work in progress, and it's it's done in semi graphics twelve. So my idea is that you know color on a color computer is what I want, and it's design, going to be designed for every color computer: Coco one, two, and three, and Dragon, and it'll hopefully and only sixteen K RAM required, 16K. right? Sixteen K. So yeah, um, I'm going back to to the old Coco, giving some love to the Coco one, two, uh, and dragons, 
as well as the Coco 3. When this is done, I'll go back to a Coco 3 game. <laughs> but uh, after spending all that time doing um, zero hour on the co- on the for the Coco 3, I just needed something a little bit easier and <laughs> and uh, a bit lighter just to get over all the kind of kind of like you did with pipes after uh, Gunstar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just needed something just to get away from the the more intense stuff. So yeah, so you get to see a sneak preview. Yes, and then of course, um, yeah. So we played uh, Curtis. Uh, had probably, I think, the best game of Grey Lady you've ever played. Yeah, I think it's actually the furthest I've gotten on it. It's actually a pretty good game. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, there's definitely going to be some of these chosen for future game on challenges. But speaking of the future game on challenge, I guess we will segue into what our next week's game is. Oh, no, oh, I'm, being, I'm <laughs> being haunted by Zero Hour again. <laughs> I, I can't get away from it. <laughs> and if you have not picked up your copy of this yet, there is still time because if you buy this off of Nick, he will send you a digital copy immediately. Yeah, so um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put a message up on the Facebook page so people can see it and they can go to the link. And, and there's and, some people uh, who already got it, like Rick Hewlett. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think we could probably put a, a link in chat for that too. Oh, yeah, there's a link in chat. Hey, perfect. So that is the game for next week. So and that's a 512K Coco 3 joystick required. It doesn't need and a six or a nine or there is not a score in this game. So it will be either how far you get in the game. Or if you complete it, how much time you have left on the clock. The one with the most time left on the clock will be considered the high score. When you complete the game, yeah, if you can have the most amount of time left over, that'd be the way to to judge it. It's not the sort of game where you play for scores. Well, it's kind of like scored like golf. There you go. I've never played (laughs) golf. (laughs) So yeah, it's it for those for those of you that can complete the game, it's how much time is left. For those of you that don't complete the game, it's how many rooms you actually do complete. Yeah, and you'll get a little light light lit up box for each room you complete, so you can get a yeah. count from the screenshot. And that's just a reminder to people that are uh, submitting scores into the uh, Discord that uh, it's helpful to have a screenshot with it, especially in this game. I'll need a screenshot so. So, yeah, when you get to the end of the game, it actually holds that last screen uh, until you press uh, any key to continue. So at that point, it's displaying the timer uh, and you've got a chance there to take a a photo of the screen or a screenshot if you're running an emulator. It's like you created this game, especially for the Game On Challenge. Well, I I try to look ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah. So that's all I have to say about that. Okay. Okay. I don't have too many game on uh, news things. We can go straight into that if you want. Okay. Did we lose Sloopy? 
Oh yeah, Sloopy was supposed to be doing a live show from VCF East. Yep. He was last seen in a hallway talking to someone, and then he dropped out. Okay. Sloopy, come back. I I will do the game on news and then go straight into the regular news. But if any of you guys catch it, Sloopy's rejoined. Just tell me, and I'll I'll pause and we'll let him catch us up on VCF. All right, let's flip screens. Okay. Screen is flipped. Okay, so I'm on Game On News first. Let me get my right screen up here. There we go. Hey, you guys seen that? Yep. Okay, so first up, we got Paul Shoemaker posted a video on Facebook. So he's actually working on his first completely ML-style games. And in this case, he's got sprites walking using double buffering in V-Sync. Uh, I'm going to play the whole thing because it's kind of just repeats itself. But uh, just give you an idea what he's been working on. This is actually doing masking on the background. He's just got a solid color here, but it, you could have a detailed background and it would still be printing over the top properly without you know, a big block rectangle around it. So he's called it Wolf 4 or Wolf. Does that mean Wolfenstein? Could be. I mean, the original Wolfenstein, the 2D was a 2D one 2D for game. Apple, yeah. yeah. Might be something like that. I'm not sure. Because I noticed one of the characters was a, a soldier with a, a helmet on. Yeah. That's so. kind of what I suspected from the title, too, to be honest. We'll have to get him on uh, in the next couple of weeks here to talk about it, or maybe ask him if it's best. Jim Gary did two this week that they're in the game section. So the first one is called Dunking Jack, and this is a program from Fun for huh. Kids magazine um, for the MC-10. Uh, now, this is from a magazine published in October of 2009 for the PC. So this is a very recent game for him to port over to the MC-10. Like I said, it's an educational one, and it's basically you have to answer questions right or you get thrown into a pool of water, basically. Let me fast forward. Dad. Do you a little counter beside your man on the top there? How many more guesses you can get wrong before he gets dunked? It's harder than here. And Spooshy crashes in the water. That was the first one. <clears throat> the second one is called King Tut's Tomb, originally written by Greg Hassett. Um, and this is an adventure game, but he added a new graphical title screen to it, which the original one did not have. Uh, so I'll just play that for a little bit here. For low reds, that's not a bad tune in common. Yeah. That's even personalized. And then it's just a standard adventure game, so... I will let the people who like adventure games go check out the full video. Next up, the Amigos have released their next one uh, called Time Patrol. This is Coco Show episode 31. Time Patrol is a time pilot type clone by Computerware by MG Lustig, I think is the one who wrote it. I'll just play the little bit of the intro here. Their little comical one. Time may change me. But you can change time on Time Patrol. It's the Coco Show, episode 31. And I won't play the, the, the video. You know their style, so you can go check it out. I will mention that they are recording today. I think Zero Hour uh, is the next game ah. they're doing. They're actually live on Twitch. I'm not sure what time because I know some of the schedules were changing around on some of the shows. So I'm not quite sure exactly when. 
But if you guys are, have time later on and you're happy to be on Twitch, you can catch that live, as well as the Sinclair show and the Vegas show and everything else. They are live on Twitch right now, so I don't know which show they're on yet, but... Okay. I'll give you a live update in a second. Sounds good. <laughs> this next one a is a, a brief gameplay with some audio tracks. I can't play too long because I don't know if the song's copyrighted or not. Of uh, Cashman, but it's by a YouTuber I've never seen before called Hog Balls. I didn't make it updated. Um, but playing <laughs> Couch Computer Cashman. Watch out for it a bit here. So basically, he's got background music plus the actual gameplay sound effects, etc. And he goes through the first four levels roughly. No commentary or anything else, but I thought that was kind of interesting that, that we got another new YouTuber doing Coco stuff. I have no idea who he is. So they're doing the Sinclair show right now on okay. Amigos. Next up, Cuthbert Dragon. We used to cover him a lot back when he was doing a lot of dragon games that we'd never seen in North America, or you know, at least most of it we'd never seen. And uh, he used to put these little static shots of the artwork because the dragon artwork for their cassette cases and disc cases were much better than most of the stuff we did in North America. So in this particular, he's actually doing a new type of series where he's doing a box tour where he actually goes through the actual box, opens it up, you know, shows you the insides, etc. I think this is the first episode he's done of that for the dragon. And it's only 30 seconds. So I thought I'd play the whole thing. You guys can get a feel for it. And we actually hear him talk for the first time. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another Cuthbert Dragon video. Today we have Ice Castles by Spectral Associates. Here we have the spine. And on the back it says, a truly superb three-dimensional graphics type arcade adventure where you can save the crystals from the marauding minotaurs. An original concept in graphics where you can travel through the tunnels and use the lifts to travel between floors, complete with wicked riches and magic trees. We have the cassette published in 1984. Alright, thank you for watching this and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. So he does very short and he's been kind of compressing his videos so they usually one to two minutes the most. <clears throat> but I'm looking forward to seeing some of these other ones of the actual, you know, cassette artwork. Some of them get pretty extravagant. So I'll probably start covering his channel again because he was basically redoing the same games. He was re-recording a bunch of stuff and we've already seen him the first time. So I've kind of not been mentioning his stuff too much lately. But if he keeps this up, I'll, I'll be mentioning these. And this one just got released today. So Sibling Rivalry. Um, I think last week they did, uh, because of the name of the game, Motocross or something in television. And then this week they're doing... Candy Company, which I think we already did as a game on channel, didn't we, Ken? Uh, yes, I believe we did. No, I just so you know, can... Sloopy's back on the call. Okay, I'll just finish the one because it's last of my game news anyway. Okay. Um, so basically, this one here, I haven't had a chance to listen to it because it just got released this morning, so I don't know where AD is going to start swearing when she gets frustrated, so I'm not going to play it right now. You have to check it out on your own. <laughs> so I thought I'd give a shout out to that. But it's, it's a really fun game, so I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. And now, to our live reporter in the field, Sloopy. Greetings. <clears throat> Welcome from sunny uh, Wall, New Jersey, where we have a computer show going on. And there's uh, several exhibit areas here. Um, like, most of them have like all the exhibit areas all in one spot. But here, it's like it's in several different buildings so here this you're just is in a, between buildings right now yeah i'm just outside of the one building and uh came out here because so i could hear um because obviously it's a bit loud in there so what's, what's the attendance like this year um several hundred people 
um, here, let me uh, turn this camera around. And this is this is the second main uh, exhibit area where they have a bunch of various uh, uh, displays of uh, uh, they seem to have old PCs, Macs, Apples, uh, a phone system, and they also have uh, a uh, mainframe machine back there. Um, I unfortunately don't remember what it is off the top of my head. And then when we come down in through here, um, for those that don't know, the uh, BCF East is done at the site of a uh, of a former uh, military base with a lot of communications history. So there's a lot of uh, other things here that's interesting to see, which as you could see down that hallway, there was exhibits from it. And then here's the other main exhibit hall down here. This one's a little bit smaller. So, and Commodore stuff. Yeah. Is there any Coco or Tiracetti presence there? Huh? Is there any Coco or Tiracetti presence there? Uh, yes, actually, I'm getting to that. Um, Amiga and video. And uh, more Amiga and video. Handheld, uh, handheld of the history. And then we come through here. And there's a smaller uh, contingency in here. And this is where we find the lone uh, TRS-80 stuff. If uh, I'm sure some of you are familiar with this gentleman here from uh, the Trash Talk show. Satinsky, uh, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Peter Satinsky. Peter, yeah. Well, say, say hi to Peter on behalf of Kogutov. Well, 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 he's he's talking to someone at the moment, so I don't want to interrupt. Greetings. We're live on the Coco Talk show, and they're saying hello. Yes. Where are you? Yeah, they recognized your face, so. And I said that you're the uh, only uh, TRS-80 or Tandy uh, dis display here. So, so where's your cocoa? Okay, and why isn't it here? <laughs> all right, all right, we'll we'll let you go on that one. So, okay. And as you can see, there's more uh, demonstrations here. Of various hardware and except for the uh, it is a uh, much smaller show than uh, yeah. let's see here and there and let me go outside so that I can actually hear Sorry, I'm sure. Me either. And this is the registration area where all these fine people are. <laughs> and actually, let me go out the other way because, because over there is where you can see the, that's, that is actually the front door. 
and where you would first come in to uh, register to come see the show. And am I still live? Can you still hear me? Yep. Yeah, we still hear you. Yeah. Because it's so, yeah, because it's so loud, I can't really hear anything. So I'm not 100% sure that if I'm <laughs> still there. So, yeah. And this is the uh, where you can come out. Where I just was is over there. Or, let's turn the camera around. There. I was just in there. That's that part of the building is where I went from the one room to the other. And then you come out here and you have all sorts of different buildings. And this one over here is where they have the, uh, um, the, the, um, the show, the, uh, displays and the people and the talks and such, and they have a consignment room and some food. And I went into the consignment room and, uh, to give you an idea of pricing and such, there's a, uh, a Coco 2 there for $120. And fortunately, it includes an SDC. There's another Coco 2 there for $100 and doesn't include anything. Uh, disk drive with two drives in it, $100. One with a floppy controller cart, $150. So, any questions? No, we just have to bug Peter about bringing his cocoa down next time, I think. <laughs> yeah, I would go in that room, but they're actually having talks. So parts of the room, parts of it are quite a, quite noisy. So I will try to go through. There's a lot of people in there. So I probably won't be able to hear much. And you may not even be able to hear me. I don't know if you could hear me when I was in the other rooms, but. Yes, it's much more spread out than uh, than uh, VCF Midwest. So, and that's where the talks are being held. And then we come down here. And these are where the two consignments and food rooms are. Here's the one consignment room. Hey. Oh, this is Tierra City. Yeah. And here's the one Coco, 125. And second one, Coco one for 150. This drive for 150. Uh, there was a. Uh, Oh, cool. They're discounting. Yes. Um, there was a... Uh, nice. Here it is. I've got plenty. Okay. And here's another... This is the Coco 2, the, yeah, the, the Coco 2 with uh, SDC for 125. With, that's included with the SDC, that's not a bad price. No, it's not. And there's a couple of those apples. Yay, apples. Uh, 
and then we come back here and then we have a model one that is 100 bucks with cover and a uh, expansion module for 200 and then we have another we have a melty key for 100 with dust cover yep and a couple disk drives and this is 200 but the uh, controller and 50 for just the, the one and other On than the bottom the, yep and uh other than the uh the model one here as you first look in which i'm not even going to say that price $200 tested and working, it says, though. Yeah, it's... No, honestly, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I'm not going to say that price. That's, that's obscene. It doesn't matter if I'm there or not. So. But it works. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, the keyboard, monitor, and expansion interface. So yeah. Three, three things. And when you consider what those cost new, come on, 600 bucks yeah. For the lot. And then we can come over here into the other section. And there's another model one over here. And it is 325 and includes the uh, expansion interface, the, the model one. And then there's also a model one monitor for 120. It works. And that's pretty much it for the TRS-80 stuff here. There's uh, old PC stuff, some networking, some really old uh, fire bottle stuff. And uh, here is a cut of calculator. It comes with comes with free bonus, free fill. <laughs> At least he's not false advertising. No. But, um, oh, there is another tier uh, safety thing over here. Excuse me. Oh, modem. Model one. That's the 1200 quad one. Yeah, DC 2212 or whatever it was. Yes, the DC twenty two twelve. It's only five five dollars. That's not a bad deal. For those that still have landlines to use it. Yeah. Well, they've got a they've got a full um, a full uh, phone system hooked up here, so you could probably uh, actually use it here. Run a BBS and connect to it. Mm -hmm. So, and I do believe that is everything. Because yeah, I looked through to, so I knew what was and wasn't. Unfortunately, I didn't see the, uh, the modem. So, but that is pretty much everything. Okay, so this is VCF. Which one is this now? VCF East. And this is held once a year around this time? Yeah, usually around. Uh, April, sometimes May. Yeah, it's uh, it's in, it's in New Jersey, and for those that don't know, I will show you. 
here is the United States. We come in and it is right in there, just below New York. So pretty close to the coast then. Oh yeah, we we are we are very close to the coast. We're like five miles from the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, hmm. I keep looking around for someone and I can't find them. <laughs> so, but, yep. Now as you can see, it's me. Yeah. No one wants to look at my ugly mug. Yes, there's a bunch of buildings here, and it is a uh, it is also a museum for uh, like uh, communications and such. They actually have a museum of uh, of technology um, in this building here. There's actually they actually show um, the history of television. And they've got televisions from all the way back to the 40s, all the way up to current. Um, they have uh, uh, displays of, uh, of computers and such. And uh, they also have displays from like World War One and World War Two of uh, uh, like technology, things that people used, uh, safety and other such uh, similarities. Uh, there's a lot of documentation and videos of all that on the uh, on the internet, so that's why I didn't really. I mostly glossed over that stuff, where it actually goes in depth. So, any questions? Uh, not not about my my head. Anyway, anybody else have any questions for Slippy while we got him on live? I still have <laughs> never made it to a BCF of any sort, so I got to get that on my bucket list somewhere. Yeah. Honestly, I would suggest going to VCF Midwest. Um, it's a much bigger, bigger venue and much more, I guess you could say friendly than, uh, than here. Okay. So, but yeah, that's it. The, um, unfortunately, they don't have a, uh, a motel on property like everywhere else like VCF Midwest does. So it's, they don't have the uh, after hours camaraderie um, that, like they do at uh, Midwest and such. So and then also this is, this is also very Commodore centric because we're like an hour, hour and a half drive from the Commodore quote unquote homeland. So there is a lot of Commodore represented here and quite a bit of Apple. Because they're almost Commodore, right? Yeah. I mean, the talk that they had earlier had, I think, like somewhere between six and eight principal engineers from Commodore from the uh, 80s to early 90s um, in a talk. And it's like the biggest, it was the biggest gathering of Commodore employees since Commodore was open back in the 90s. Can I go so. into that door? So, but I guess if there's no more uh, questions, then that's my presentation, such as it is. <laughs> okay. Well, th thanks for showing us that. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever make it out to VCF East there, but I hope to make it to Midwest sometime. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely that's the one to go to. So. All right. I'm going to go and continue on my way. And uh, everybody, Coco on. Yeah. Thanks, Lupi. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ready for uh, Game On News? Or uh, not the Game On regular, News? Regular news? news? Yeah, it's pretty short. So I don't think we need to have a break or anything. It's only. Okay. Stories. Let me run the intro. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Cristo. A Muppet News Flash. It's cleverly hey, marked reverb. Pictures. Hey, because if we haven't had enough Commodore content after the VCF report, here's another one. <laughs> <laughs> but this has OS 9 and a 6809 in it, so I would count it as a real computer for, from Commodore. Um, so basically, uh, Jim Brain is the one who actually pointed me to this. Um, and it's basically a YouTube video that shows the MMU upgrade card for the Super Pet that Jim actually manufactures and sells, and it runs OS 9 level 1. And they actually have a, a VIC-20 being used as a terminal on here. So for those who don't know what the Super Pet is, it's a uh, dual CPU system. It's got a 6502 and a 6709, and they actually did port OS 901 to it. And uh, there's some active group that's actually still working on it and stuff too. So it kind of goes through what the thing looks like on the inside and all the different boards, et cetera. It's a pretty thick, big machine. And then they boot it up. It went really retro here. They actually ran the terminal program to log into the OS 9 on the PET from a VIC-20, which has even a smaller screen resolution than the Coco does. And there you can see it on the pet itself, it's 80 com card booting up. And then you can see the login screen, any of the few people that have actually done the login screen on Coco assigned, you'll recognize it for sure. And uh, so it all up and runs and works and uh, they can log in. They were running programs on both the local pet and then on the, the VIC-20 terminal simultaneously. You can see the multitasking. I won't play the whole thing because it's like a 15 minute video, but it was pretty interesting. I've heard of the super pet. I've seen screenshots and brief little YouTube clips, but this kind of explains it at the hardware level and the software level and the OS9 level, you know, a lot better than most of the other ones I've seen. So I thought it was pretty cool. And thanks to Jim for sharing that. And then there's this guy, I don't know much about him. Uh, <laughs> since he's actually on the call, I will mute the sound in this and he can explain what this is about. Okay, there we go. Yeah, no, this video I made because uh, Mr. Dave 6309, he sent me a couple of boards that he had designed. And uh, one of them was one that, one that I was really interested in actually, because uh, it's, one, it's, it's a simple little concept, but what it is, the cartridge that goes into the cocoa has two little LEDs on it. And he modified ROMs in such a way that uh, at certain points, when certain things happen in games, it makes these LEDs flash. So you can, for example, have in the likes of Dungeons of Daggerath, the heartbeat on screen that shows what your level of health is will cause these little LEDs to flash on the uh, on the side of the card. So I kind of I kind of had a look at that, and because it interested me so much, and I had absolutely no idea how it worked at all, I said I'd make a little video like this on it. So as it turns out, uh, Mr. Dave six three zero nine he has designed the thing in such a way that it does two things. It's using two five 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 timer chips, and one of them controls the flashing on the LEDs. 
But the other one, what it's doing is the output pin on the 555 timer is actually holding an address line on the ROM chip inside in the cartridge low. Is that right, Jed? It's holding it low, I think. So you're, you're only, the Coco only has access to the first 16 kilobytes of memory on the, the, ROM. Uh, on the ROM chip itself. And then after that has been written into the Coco's RAM, it goes, it goes high. Yeah. And then you have access to the second part. And that way he got around, but it's a kind of a rudimentary bank switching type thing that uh, allows you to have 32 kilobyte uh, ROMs on a Coco cartridge, which is something I had certainly never seen before. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much what the cartridge is. That's, that's, uh, that's what it does. And uh, in the video, I went a little bit further because I only had these little SMD LEDs that I put on it and they weren't very impressive. So I decided to try and hook up a LED strip to it. And then I had problems with that because it wasn't enough power to power it. So uh, Mr. Dave, he advised me that I should use a optocoupler and which I'd never heard of before. So I looked into that and I built up the circuit and we managed to get the LEDs to work a bit with it. And um, it's a fantastic little cartridge. It's great fun. And really, if, if you want, I'll do a little kind of advertising thing, but if you wanted a little project that, uh, that is fun and you will learn something from, and you can potentially blow up your cocoa if you're not careful, so there's a little challenge in it too, give Mr. Dave a shout. And uh, no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's great. It's a great little thing. And um, yes. Yeah, and so it looks like he sent I you a bunch of other boards too. So you've got some future videos to come out, I'd imagine. He did. He gave me a few other boards as well. He gave me a, um, a kind of, you saw there in, in the beginning of what you were playing there, Curtis, is a little kind of a, a joypad-y type thing that uh, uses Cherry MX, MX switches. Yeah, that's the fella. And um, it's working like a, like an Atari joystick would on the Coco. So you've got your left, right, and up and down, and two fire buttons. And then on the other side, you can put a little putty antometer. So you've got like a paddle going as well. So you've got the two at once. So I don't know how good or bad it is because I haven't built it up yet. I'm still waiting on parts to come for that. Uh, the board that you see there is a little MSX cartridge board as well. It's absolutely nothing to do with the Coco, but it's for the um, MSX computers that were developed between Microsoft and a Japanese company. I'm like, can't really remember but that guy there is again for the coco it's a development board so that you can uh, test out roms that you're writing with or whatever you put a zip socket in it there and you can easily swap rom chips into your coco and see if they're working and all that kind of thing as well so that's that's those boards and he also sent me a little keyboard uh guy there that you can you can hook up and um, keyboard matrixes to that quite simple quite simply really just solder them onto them and shove them into your uh into your cocoa and i think the reason he has that board is actually well sure you you know yourselves that mr dave has done a whole line of kind of um, keyboard, keyboard pcbs yeah and i think that's you now i may be wrong but i assume that is what he uses to connect them up to the um up to the cocoa itself and the other little board that i had just there a second ago was one to put a 24 uh a 28 pin uh, ROM into a 24 pin socket, that fella there. And then the one that I'm holding there is for a Vision, which is a console that I don't have, but 
I, I really want to get one of those, but they're getting very, very expensive. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for one, but um, he sent me a couple of words for those as well. But that's, uh, that's what he sent me. So I've got plenty to keep me going. I've got plenty that I'm fooling around with. And uh, well, Mr. Dave himself, he's a great guy. He's after giving me an awful lot of help with that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, I'm after learning an awful lot from the man as well. So, I mean, there's, there's not much more than, than that I can say on the whole lot of it. Yeah, and he's a regular but, in our Discord, too. So he's very active in, you know, talking back and forth about projects and stuff, too. So if, if people, you know, don't always catch him on the show or whatever, you can definitely talk to him on our Discord. Yeah, no, he's, he's a very helpful guy. So, um, yeah, so that's that. That's that. Have a look at the video, like, and subscribe. And, uh, yeah, there you go. That's and that. we will mention that you have the coconut theme carried on from what, you know, Taylor and Amy and a few other people have done, too. So I won't uh, say any more about that. You have to watch the video to find out. Yeah, that's actually, actually that coconut thingy was, um, again, my son, Louis, when he was small, before I knew the cocoa even existed. It's funny that it actually worked that way with the timer that's in it. But um, when he was real small, he, he asked me what good were electronics anyway. It was just stupid. So I showed him by building that little thing. But check out the video. You'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Okay. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Yeah. Next up, we have uh, James Diffendaffer did a couple of uh, little basic listings of doing some more mathematical-based things to draw objects. And he's got two of them that he put up on Facebook with the source code. They're very small. They're easy to type in. They're obviously not that quick unless you run the emulator and overclock. So the first one kind of does this fractal leaf thing, and there's the entire program listing that generates that at the top. And the second one he did, there is a bunch of different sets of sines and cosines, et cetera, here to uh, draw various curves. We can do like multiple sine waves and then mix together circles, et cetera. So if you're into math and into graphics, it's a pretty cool. And then once again, program listing right at the top, it's only you know eight, nine long lines long, nice and easy to type in. This is interesting. So uh, this is not a, a brand we have up here. Uh, My Jones, I guess, makes soda pop. But they also have this thing on the website where you can order custom labels. Um, so the Coca Crew are doing it as a kind of a promotion for their show here. I thought that's a pretty cool idea. It's a bit different, a bit thinking outside the box than, you know, just doing computer stuff type all the whole time. They're actually having a soft drink with it. So I thought that was kind of cool. Next up is a video here from Sheldon McDonald. This one I will play in its entirety. It's just over a minute long, but we were talking last week about uh, Zipster Zone's a PSG board, which has joystick adapter stuff on it for doing uh, Segas, and it'll handle the three button and the six button, but it also handles the uh, Sega mice. So he's actually done some uh, little ba basic program driver, and he ran Coco CAD, which is a little CAD program for the Coco 1 and 2 that was also done in basic, but he's actually using the Sega mouse on it. And because of the way it works, it actually almost runs like it has a high-res interface on it. Um, so you're getting really fine detail where you're placing the pixels here. So I'll place, let me know if it's too loud or too quiet. Here's a video of the Sega mouse in action. I just built a little driver for CocoCAD. You can see how you can do very fine movements. Uh, Got to zoom way out here. Or you can do large movements. Yeah. 
and just remember this is a basic program using it too so this would be also a lot smoother um, a lot smoother on uh, in assembly if this program was done in assembly if I can Is that a Tim Horton's cup on his desk? Yes. <laughs> what what gave it away? <laughs> Seems to work pretty good though. So anyway, that was that uh that, that actually looks pretty good. The fact that it'll actually do basically the equivalent of a high-res interface built right in. Um, as long as you have a driver that properly handles it and uh, gives you the ultra smooth, and that would work on a Cocoa 3 resolution screen too. So that was a Cocoa 1 and 2 resolution you're seeing there. And then he has another update here, <clears throat> which he's got some screenshots of. So you, he's been working on a new editor development system environment that he's working on. And he originally started this to do some of his Sega Genesis projects. And he kind of figured this is kind of a nice environment for any type of programming project. So why not extend it to the Cocoa? So that is what he's planning on doing now. So you can kind of see a screenshot here. You can see some assembly language code and running an emulator, et cetera. Um, he's also linking it to some of his disk utility stuff. So you create disk images automatically from it. I think he's got another screenshot in the comments. So he's, he's kind of demonstrated a few of these tools or, or similar tools before, but he's now he's working on the full IDE style thing uh, where you can do everything like start to finish from writing the code to compiling it, to putting it onto disk image, to firing it up an emulator and testing it and making it cross platform. So it runs on Cocos or on the Genesis and maybe he'll expand it to other things he's interested in later, but it's pretty cool that he's getting this kind of progress done here. So those of you that do not like programming on the hard metal like Nick and I and Terry, uh, this is another alternative. Uh, this one is from John Pappas, and he posted this in the Cocoa Facebook group. Now, it's actually, a, it's a VIC-20 kind of redone to be a laptop with a folding screen with an LCD on it. Now, why is he posted that here? He's planning on doing a Cocoa version of this. So you can take a Cocoa 1 or 2 and have a screen that folds onto it, be hinged on the back. And then you can actually, and he said the nice thing about Cocoa, it can fit a bigger LCD, which kind of reminds me when uh, Frank Swagger, the guy who used to do World of 68 Micros, actually made one out of wood. And he has a little portable cocoa with a car battery that you used to hobble around to, uh, to power it up. Uh, but this is this looks much more compact. It would look like a modern laptop almost. But you can actually carry on a cocoa with its own screen built into it, an LCD screen. So with a cocoa three, I think that would be kind of cool. So if any of you have any interest in that, you can maybe comment it on the Facebook group. Next up in the dragon realm. Uh, Adrian Sinclair has been working on making posters, full color posters of some of the artwork that the uh, Dragon Games got, which, as I mentioned in the previous story, were much better than the stuff we usually saw in North America. So here he's got a 60 by 40 centimeter poster based on the original box art for Lunar Rover Patrol for the Dragon. So if you want you know, posters of some of these games, these, these are really well done artwork. I mean, uh, the only ones I can think of on the Coca, besides maybe some Tandy Radio Shack ones that even came close to this, I think were probably the Mictron Computer Shack ones. They had some full color you know, on cardboard stock uh, type pictures that they took photos of models and stuff like that rather than paintings, but really nice artwork they have the dragon. Totally jealous. And the last one here is a bit of an update from Phil Harvey Smith. They've been working on trying to get the new replacement RAM boards for the dragon beta. They're trying to rebuild the dragon beta, which was a machine that was had dual 6809s and at 768k RAM and MMU, high res graphics up to what the heck was it? 640 by 480 or something like that. 
really advanced OSI level two machine that was meant to be OSI only, basically on boot. It was meant as a high-end business machine. But of course, it got canceled when Dragon went under. And uh, they've rebuilt the board and he was trying to rebuild the MMU and the, uh, the RAM up to 768K of RAM, three quarter of a meg. But he was having some problems with timing and he was talking about it earlier in the week. This post is where he finally figured out what, what was going wrong. <clears throat> As he said, turns out I was latching the wrong half of the address bus on the wrong signal, though it shouldn't have mattered. It seems to have. So now that he's changed that around, it now has been booting OS 9 four or five times without fail. But before it was kind of a crapshoot. Sometimes it would boot, sometimes it wouldn't. So this is where it actually gave us the update that is working now and they can proceed with actually getting the rest of it done. Um, so they're planning on actually trying to basically duplicate the entire hardware motherboard and, and daughter boards for the RAM, et cetera, here for the entire Dragon Beta. They have copies of OS 9 level two version 1.2, I think it is, with some primitive graphics drivers that weren't totally bug free yet, but were working. We showed that on the, I think last week or the week before with the, you know, the scaling and you know, X, Y, Z rotations, don't forget, sorry, Z. Um, so it's, it's good to hear they finally solved that problem. They could continue on. And I'm really looking forward to see what all stuff this thing could do once you know people start actually optimizing it properly. Because this was kind of like the software they have in their possession is early days stuff done from when it was still an ongoing project at Dragon that wasn't finished yet. So it's not as optimized as it could be. And I'd really like to see where they can take this thing. And that is all the news I have for this week. So I don't know, does anybody have any project updates or acquisitions that they want to talk about that we kind of covered eight bits in the basement there already? <laughs> I do have a quick question. Yes. Thanks to uh, Mr. Hill, I have most of this multi-key keyboard. Um, okay. Let's see, here's, here's what I have of it, if I can switch my... Can you spotlight it, Mark? Yeah, give me a... My camera should have changed. I can't see myself. Did I go away? Am I here? Yeah, he's just switching over to you. Uh, trying to find you anyway. There you are. Okay. How did I end up spotlighting myself? Hold That's on. cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're hoping for a melty key keyboard that will appear. It's a black keyboard. From the bottom oh, of the okay, screen. so I have four of the five layers. Um, there is obviously something. So here's four keys that are pushed up. There is something that goes between those and the mylar sheet because there are little posts here, so I just can't work. So I still don't understand how the multi key keyboard works. If anyone has seen one in the flesh and could tell me, I would certainly appreciate it because I want to. I want to make a fix for this thing and I don't have enough of it to fix it. So uh is it missing the little plastic uh spongy things that normally would are, sit in there? Are there plastic spongy things that sit in there? Well you I know those little contact things, I don't know what they call them. Well there there's a there's a base plate, a mylar sheet, a metal plate with holes in it. But these little posts don't reach out far enough to push on the mylar sheet. So there must be some uh -huh. kind of rubber balls or something that that fit in there. And I'd really like to finish up my fix every cocoa with a board that I can make from JLC. 
series, and uh, this one's got me stumped. So anyway, yeah, if anyone... was it a, a a sealed unit or like some, that? Almost looks like someone's yes, taking them out. Well, yeah, it's been ripped apart. It's it's an yeah. Ampanol product number. The whole keyboard was put together with a little clip that went in the middle of it. So this thing's been butchered. But I don't even know what I'm missing yet. And, uh, you know, the the new keyboards had a lever action. So no matter how hard you smash the key, it would only push the membrane so hard. I'm sure there was some device to do that on this keyboard, but I have no idea what it might have been. And, yeah, it looks uh, like it's missing. Yeah, and the, parts, the part number leads nowhere, so here's a mystery. I'd like to make the melted keyboards work because they're cool, you know? So you need another one to take apart. I guess so, yeah. Maybe I'll – I need a melty keyboard Coco 2 that doesn't work with my network card. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be walking through <laughs> Coco Fest, plugging my network card into everything that's for sale to see if I should buy it or not. Um, so was that the keyboard – did that one have screws in the back or was that the uh, melted post? Oh, no, it's it's got like one clip in the middle. I think you can see a busted out hole where it was rem disassembled forcibly. Um, uh. No, this is all just locating piece. There is nothing that holds this keyboard together except one little plastic clip in the middle of it. So, hey, huh. I okay. can different, different. <laughs> there, was, there was one version. I don't remember which one it was. It had, instead of screws, it just had the those black posts just melted down the oh, hole. That, okay. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that one either. That's scary. <laughs> another, another revision you need to make, maybe. Right. I'm going to need seven or eight of these boards. Okay, well, that's cool. And then there was this. I was going to ask Ron, but he ran off to Cincinnati, which maybe when I booted my uh, lava lamp this morning, it showed this astronomical event. And I'm not sure what it actually <laughs> means. <laughs> but it looks bad. He's giving you a warning. <laughs> and then he took off to Cincinnati. So um, there we are. And that's me. Cool. Anybody else have any updates or acquisitions they want to talk about? Does not look like it. So I don't have anything else okay. to, to add on to the show. Does anybody else have any final thoughts, comments? or? Actually, I have a slight no, rolling back to down, the... <laughs> Thanks a lot, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so back to that uh, mouse that you was talking Floppy. about that was being used Floppy. on the, the PSG. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just wondering. It, it is that using pots? Uh we covered that last week or the week before, and I'm, I can't even remember now. It's it's using Zipster's PSG, so I'd have to, I'd have to see what the Sega Genesis actually uses. And that's what counter. Well, I was going to say is depending on how it is, if that's more accurate, or just if it's less CPU intensive, then the high res interface, it would be interesting to see if we could um, use the PSGs as a possible mouse it, interface. It only has digital joystick interfaces. Okay. So something like a PS2 mouse. Two Atari types um, joystick interfaces. Hmm. It, yeah, it's not analog. Has he, has he shared his code for reading the mouse anywhere on that? 
I don't think he has yet because he's still working on it. He wants to write an assembly one. Like one of the comments he did on his own post about it is that he wants to cut the size of the driver because he just wrote it in basic just to get it to work. And it's two and a half K. And he said he can crunch that down to at least like half a K, like one fifth the size. So I don't think he's planning on releasing the code until that. He does plan on releasing it open source. Okay. Because that would be something that would be interesting because I've got a PSG that's always in my multi-pack because I do tinker with the, uh, the, you know, the Sega game pads because I've got my experimental code that I have for accessing all of the buttons. So I was thinking, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to actually have the Nitrous 9 driver set to use a joystick input from that so do we know how the uh, sega mouse actually works i have no idea because he had a sega mouse hooked up and uh, i'm thinking that's not an analog device i think that does use just the switches because I'm trying, to remember, uh, didn't, didn't it, it, I'm trying to remember from last week didn't he have it so that it would tell you it's kind of like the microsoft mouse protocol where it tells you You've moved left and it has a range. All right. PS2. I mean, PS2 mice are all counters, not analog. So, yeah. So maybe he's using, he's, he's, he's counting the, uh, the digital point, uh, ports of the joystick and making that counter readout. I don't know. I think that's how the Atari ST and the Amiga mice are. They yeah, use, we uh, kind of covered it in the last one, but honestly, I can't remember. That's a whole week ago. But he did cover it on the previous video of his we showed. All right. So we're getting really close to the idiot um, digital scanner wheel things versus POTS thing. Where... Uh-huh. Encoders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, uh, Peter, 8-Bits in the basement. I don't know if you saw David and Sharon Very give you a comment in the chat there. It says, thanks, Peter. It was fun to see someone having fun with that cartridge board. No, I didn't see it, but it's great to know. I've actually, I've been fooling around with it just here. I don't know if this is going to show up here now or not, but I've got it right here beside me more or less. And uh, I just bought myself a copy of Nightmare, Nightmare Highway, the, um, the $1 one. And uh, I don't know, can, can you see that flashing when it comes up? Yeah, yep, it kind of yeah, but actually, um, as it turns out, because I was going to ask Mr. Dave to modify a um, a version of HDB DOS for me, but it seems that the version I have when I type dir here, uh, it's flashing, and also when I load up the game, and it's doing disk accesses, it uh, it works as well. It seems. What's the poke address for setting the lights? Isn't that FF40? FF40, that's it, yeah. And that's part I of the disk controller too, so that makes that sense. This, this controller is used that somewhere as well. Yep, that's, why, that's why I thought that was what was going on. So it seems to be exactly that that's happening. But it's only this evening is the first time because I, I plugged um, a copy of HDB DOS into the cartridge that I had set up with the, with the LED strip and all the rest just to, just to try it out a bit. But it's... It's great. I mean, it works. It works away fantastic. I don't know if see these things are flashing away mad here as this is coming up. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a great project. As I said before, get in contact with Mr. Dave. This is what you want. This is what you need. Yeah. <laughs> Me? I hurt myself. There you go. No, no, no. You'd be fine, Curtis. You'd be absolutely fine. 
Get a good oh, barber, you'd be okay. <laughs> Is he grinning when he said that? <laughs> Crossing his fingers, grinning the whole bit. <laughs> Those bridge so in the basement scare me a little bit, though. <laughs> a little archway is going on with bricks up there. I just, oh, yeah, that's they've got these. This is here in France. I never saw this kind of thing before. They've got um, they've got yeah, all the ceilings in basements and stuff. It's very simply done. It's just little hollow bricks that that are put in. I don't even. They don't even have any structural integrity as such. It's just the it's kind of cover. It's 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 what they call it in cash misère Say it's for hiding a multitude of sims behind. I think it just looks pretty. That's what it's about. Until, until one falls down. Well, yeah, but <laughs> no, the, yeah, yeah. We 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 had them upstairs, upstairs, and I, I I converted the attic. We we knocked down a whole ceiling full of them. But um, they're really they're really fragile. You know, they really really are. You need something over them like that. You'd be walking on. But uh, no, it's only purely, well, as far as I can see, anyway, the house hasn't fallen down since we removed them, but it's only purely aesthetic, I think. <laughs> That's what they're about. But they're, they're, they're nice. They're, uh, they're uh, a conversation piece, I suppose. Well, it made <laughs> the conversation. That. Yeah. <laughs> French architecture. <laughs> so there you go. That's that. Cool. My little basement. These are all welcome anytime. Subscribe. <laughs> so, hey, we ready for the? Uh, well, somebody outro? else has a last minute update. Yeah, I think we're ready for the outro. <laughs> We've been on the air what four hours? So, yes, four hours, and yeah, right. And out. we're gonna have one uh, other. Uh, we're gonna play the other Nightmare Highway. Yeah, the country remix. version. That was a request from Bruce. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll do that and then I'll run the outro. Got some time to kill, might play a little Zaxxon. Might double back to play a little Temple of Rock. Dungeons of Daggereth, color baseball. But none can hold a candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Sure, I love my sailor man and Firefall. Go on a rampage for some super pitfall. Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack. But sooner or later, you know I've got to come back to Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. It's got a road. road. And it's got a car. Dodge the furniture and you'll be, be a pop star. star. Well, okay, maybe I just stick to the facts. To tell this truth, this game really ain't all that Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway Terry, look out! It's a stampede of sofas! 
never seen a herd this big since the Chesterfield Drive of 06. I hope we can make it to the fest. I used to bow down to the Donkey King. Grabber and Cash Man used to be my thing. Megabug, Buzzard Bait, Sea Dragon 2. But none of those can satisfy me much as you do. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare No, no. This concludes another episode of Cobra Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Lang, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! Last minute thought, thoughts? Nope, except see you next week. And a reminder that the Coco Show is going to be on the Amigos Retro Gaming Twitch channel here right after the Atari ST show. Which and is now in which... progress. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> That's okay. at uh, twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming. Here, I'll put that in the link.
I didn't get a chance to submit my reviews of uh, Nick's uh, latest game, unfortunately. I didn't get time. That's all right. I didn't have time to send you the money. <laughs> <laughs> you never have time to send me the money. <laughs> there we go. I almost po- posted the, their link into their own chat, but... <laughs> That's why Nick's uh, game reviews keep getting pushed down all the time. That's right. He never comes through with the money. I, I... <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's let's say goodbye. Goodbye, Bye. everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have Just a great review, weekend. What's next, what's next week's game again? Zero hour. Um, Zero hour. Okay. <laughs> Made that. <laughs>